The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could be here with us this morning. I'm Veda with Palladio from Memphis. Yes, she is, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, the other guy. The other one? The other guy. And Jim, I've been looking on your Facebook page on and off this week. Still a lot of posting going on. A lot of posting. Still a lot of questions. And in fact, I promised uh, some of our members that I would, t- at the bottom of each hour, we'll talk a little bit about weather uh, because we got uh, 10 days or so of uh, some, some fairly low temperatures coming in. So. I mean, think about it. Monday and Tuesday of this week, mm-hmm. you could have been in shorts, laying by the pool yeah. and enjoying every second of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Absolutely. what, coming, what, Monday night, we got some 30-degree temperatures? Yeah, Tuesday night right now is the one I'm most concerned about. But Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we still run a chance of frost. Um, and then the mm-hmm. following weekend, it looks like we have even a better chance of a freeze. So that, that of course, does can that change. Su- does it but surprise us? No, not really. Should it? I mean, it's the time yeah, of year. Yeah, I'm not surprised either. Just, just, we're just warning and yeah. figuring out what to do. So much yeah. stuff, though, has leafed out. It may get a little leaf burn on it. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. going to damage really anything. Well, but, uh, okay, well, but yeah. it can to be discussed. You know, right. we, got, we got hostas popping up, so it's going to, you know, it could conceivably you know, burn the tips on them. Uh, but, you know, throw a little leaves over them, they'll be fine. But... I don't well, think it's anything that's going to be terrible. But, Throw you know, frost you, cloth over so some no, things. Well, unless you, you know, tried to push the envelope and plant tomatoes already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I guarantee you some people I have. know. I yeah. know. I mean, I've had people wanting flowers already. Uh, you know, where where's the petunias? When are you going to oh, get yeah. those in? Where's, you know, this and that? And I'm, I'm thinking... Oh no! I should I should have an annual truck coming in. Mm-hmm. You know the weather was so nice, and then I have to go back and look at the calendar and go, okay, you're at the beginning of March, yeah. and really the middle of April is when you're wanting to have a lot a good selection. So no, it's not time. Well, even more so this year because typically people are still enjoying the beautiful blooms on pansies and violas. Okay. So they're not even really thinking about mm-hmm. annual color this early in the year. Well, we know that pansies and violas turned to mush mm-hmm. when we had that flash freeze. So they're gone. Yeah. So people are just tired of looking at the empty pots and the empty beds. And even though, yes, way early to even think about it, mm-hmm. but that's why people are thinking about yeah. it. You know? And it's really amazing how... Most of the pansies are gone, but then I see a few plots that are full and flush and beautiful. That have been replanted, probably. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's the, you know where we're always talking about the Hollywood junipers on uh, Wolf River? On Humphreys, by yeah. the Yeah, on Humphreys, Wolf River. Well, on each end of where those Hollywood junipers are, they're um, actually the Johnny Jump Ups, the, the violas. Yeah. yeah. And they all popped out beautiful there. And then in front of the garden center, we have one container where they're beautiful and the other container where they had reseeded and they're all coming back up. Well, even mine that were in containers, you know, I had a few of I mean, they, of course, they turned to mush and they looked horrible. And I had a few coming back from the root system. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking... You know, that's not going to help me because by the time they get up and start blooming, it's time to yank these things up anyway (laughs) and put in my spring and summer color. So So, it was a waste. I mean, and you never know. And I've never honestly seen that happen before. Mm -hmm. Same, Um, yeah. I mean, and we've had flash freezes before. And and this has been 
not just an unusual condition for us. It's been this even worse for up north. Uh, they had more of these polar vortexes come in. Like on February 3rd in, I think it was Mount Washington, um, New Hampshire, the temperature went to minus 47 degrees, and Whoa. they had a wind chill of minus 108, Ooh, and that more. is the coldest wind chill ever recorded in the United States. So even uh, plants that live up north and acclimated to, I mean, they're, they've, you know, they're full of antifreeze, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And they go <laughs> yeah. through those cold winters, but you're saying even those people, Jim, were having damages and problems like we are here in the south right they had the same kind of flash freezes Mm -hmm. but more often the uh the jet stream kind of leveled out above us and kept us a a little bit warmer than normal and um and they got the the brunt of it so Mm. so if we had a had something similar to that there would definitely be (laughs) no camellias at all (laughs) no distillium everything would be gone well and and you're right and and still to this day people are coming in every day and it's those marginal plants that we've talked about that we still don't know yet uh, whether distillium are going to make it through this we don't know well last weekend all of mine came out that is such great news and they were all dead there was no green anywhere Mm -hmm. on them i mean because I had some of them were so big, I had to break the limbs off of them or cut the limbs off of them to get down. You're the to first the person, Jim, that's told me that, and uh, they were toast. So, oh, hold on. So they are not. Oh, coming you mean out? digging them out? Coming out. I, I thought you meant they out. were flushing oh, out. No, you mean I they're dug them digging out. them out? They, okay, <laughs> so that's not, all right. So distillium are probably not going to make it. These through it. and now these wrapped around uh, my daughter's pool, yeah. but uh, you know where the ground temperature should have been a little warmer, mm-hmm. yep. just from the. Uh, the temperature of the water, but it, uh, yeah, they were all dead all the way through. And then Cliera, you know, do we know anything about Cliera yet? You know, the two that I looked at, which was six or eight weeks ago, uh, didn't look good. No? One was, I thought, dead all the way to the ground. The yeah. other one well, about halfway. Um, but again, I haven't seen any really close-up yeah. sounds. And then photinas, yeah, photinas, uh, you know, and the and the fatsias, the nandinas, fatsias are all coming coming out out the ground. That's good. Yeah, yeah, but the Nandinas, yeah. They took I a beating. Gotten and of course, close we to know them. they're going to come back out. I know. Okay? Everyone's, saying, everyone's saying, no, how can they be gone? But surely they're coming back and out. And then Camellias and Gardenias. You yeah. know, I mean, those are some of the plants that we, we still, and Cryptomeria, we just mm-hmm. don't know yet. Now, a lot of the other plants that looked horrible, uh, even some of the hollies, you know, that, and some of those are still out also. We don't yeah. know. Uh, but most of the stuff, I, I'm feeling better, mm-hmm. believe it or not, every day because slowly but surely, a lot of the stuff that we really thought was not going to come back out is slowly coming back out. Yeah, all the perennials in the ground, oh, they're, they're fine. Great. Yeah, yeah, they're like nothing happened. Mm-hmm. I'm all good. And then we talked about this last weekend, the hydrangeas. If you got old-fashioned mm-hmm. hydrangeas, the pinks and the blues, you know, the old macrophilias, uh, I haven't seen one that is not killed to the ground. All the stalks that were above ground are, are toast. So people are going out there anytime now and just cutting all that dead tissue out. But they are coming back, like I said, from the root system, mm-hmm. which is good. Now, we can't expect a lot of bloom this year, but at least you still have your shrub, you know, yeah. your hydrangea. And they should be back to full glory by the end of the season. Right. Hey, what are you going to go back and plant uh, around the pool? Are you going to go back with the stillium? Uh, no. Uh, actually, we're going to turn it into more of a tropical thing. Mm-hmm. Um uh, 
picked up some bulbs over here at Kenneth's Place yeah. uh, this week. Got some black allocations. Nice. I mean, uh, black colocations and some allocation bulbs. Mm-hmm. Elephant ears uh, for people. Yeah, and... Um, also, I, I moved a bunch. I dug a, a huge clump of crinums, milk and wine lilies, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I posted the pictures of them. It, it, it was, that's a tough task for an old man, <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, but, Posting pictures or digging crinums? Both, yeah. Um, but so, I, I dug crinums, I dug some peonies, um, uh, some oddball bulbs like oxblood lilies and four or five clumps of amaryllis. So those kind of things are going to go back in. They're those. going to the pool mm-hmm. because they'll give us some, uh, particularly the crinums will give us some color most of the summer. Um, so, uh, you know, I may put a few shrubs in there just for some green bones during the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But we're going to we're gonna go back. And, uh, and the ban- bananas are coming back big time. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all, some of them already, a, you know, a foot high. Yeah. I need to get out there and cut mine back. Yeah. I know. Isn't it bizarre? You would think the bananas would not come back when we've got the cryptomeria and all mm-hmm. these hardier yeah. things dying. But it's because all those things were underground. The hardy banana, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Not the tropical <laughs> right. variety. But I, uh, you know, I had one that was about six foot tall, about four or five foot wide uh, in the corner of my backyard. It's been coming up for years back there. But this is the first year ever that I haven't, call it what you want, I haven't cut it back. So I know it's just mush back there. But I'll just get a, you know, a sharp serrated knife and just cut it off at ground level. And I should be fine. But I, oh, yeah. It'll come back. Even if it doesn't come back from the original tuber, it's going to have those tubelets around it right yeah. that will come up so yeah. tubelets yeah that's a new word there <laughs> pups <laughs> pups pups yeah, tubelets i like tubelets. so so i mean and so i guess after saying all of this the theory is let's still wait and see and that's really what we have to do and i know people don't want to hear that i get it because they're tired of looking at that dead looking landscape but right now the medicine is let's just let's still just be calm. Let's wait and see what flushes out. We'll know sooner or later mm-hmm. what we have to get in there and replace or cut out. Yeah. yeah. Well, rosemary that's definitely gone. But I'm definitely replanting rosemary again. Yeah. I mean, because you kind of figure that's going to go anyway. Um, what fig trees? Fig trees are they going to be good? Probably toast to. I mean, they probably died to the ground. Because I've got had some in the greenhouse. And I'm seeing a little bit, but I'm not thinking it's going to be enough. But they'll, I mean, even if they get killed to the ground, kind of like the hydrangeas, they typically come back from the root. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Mm -hmm. but there again, you still lose everything you had. So you got to start over, but, you know, at least you'll have a decent root system to start Mm -hmm. with. But we are, we've been selling a lot, a lot, a lot of organic fertilizers in the last Mm -hmm. two or three weeks. People are going out there now. And starting to feed all of this stuff with something like Milorganite or Plant Tone, any of those tone products. Uh, And then they'll come back in about uh, four or five weeks and feed it once again with even some of those synthetic products like the 1266 or the 19612. They're really going to juice these things up this year. Try to get them to push out. They're going to the ones that are going to come out. They're going to need a little help. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we put compost and things like that out anyway so it's good that people are going ahead and doing that and probably a lot of people that haven't before oh it's time for a break (laughs) we're just going to sit here and talk the whole time all right y'all we're going to take a break you can give us a call 901-260-5926 
Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us this morning. We've got lots to go over. Um, let's see, what else? Um, yeah, we've been selling that's a lot of, about been selling all a lot I of got. Roses. We've been selling a lot of roses this week, too. Yeah. yeah good time yeah. to put them and, in. And I was talking to a, a young lady, Tammy Manderson, real sweet lady. She's actually a rosarian. She goes out and does a lot of planting and mm-hmm. for, for people as far as when it comes to roses. And I think that's all she does is roses. And she said, I was asking her what kind of damage was she seeing on roses in general across the city. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I'm going to have to replace about 200 roses wow. uh, across the city. Wow. And so all that means is there are a lot of roses that made it through this mm-hmm. flash freeze perfectly fine. There are a lot of roses that didn't make it yeah. through this flash freeze. Yeah, my, um, you know? The um, <laughs> Carefree Rose is beautiful right now just flushed out it's amazing all green i walked by and thought well where where'd you come from yeah. <laughs> looks gorgeous so the shrub roses seem to do okay but i guess some well, of the hybrid teas grandiflora yeah, these were yeah. hybrid teas that she was replacing but i was also talking to another gentleman yesterday uh super guy he's got about 60 roses that he takes care of on his in his own landscape because uh, he usually, I mean, he likes them just for cutting, okay? But, mm-hmm. I mean, 60s to me is a ton of yeah. roses, of course, now compared to people that have 200. Yeah. Oh, you remember, do you remember Jack Adamo? Oh, yeah. 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 He had 600 yeah, so between yeah, his, the, his yard and the ones on each side of him. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of roses. Wow. <laughs> but, oh, but out of, I bet that was fantastic Oh, it's looking. crazy. But out of the uh, 60, he only had two that he knows that didn't make it. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's awesome, you know. Yeah. So, and of course, he had them mulched in, and mm-hmm. they were, you know. So uh, he was in there replacing, getting two more roses for those two. So I, I guess my point is <clears throat> there are some going to be – there's going to be some uh, damage out there uh, to some of these roses, uh, maybe depending on the age that mm-hmm. they were, that some, I guess, yeah. depending on the variety. Or maybe know. even the way they <clears throat> fertilize. All I've got to – is. <clears throat> miniature roses i've got six and i did lose one the lavender which i've always considered lavender roses the weakest <laughs> of all the roses yeah right uh and it it did not make it through the winter but yeah. all the rest of them are coming out which is great news at the ground all the mm-hmm. you know because miniature rose canes are so thin yeah uh, they just burn back to the ground yeah same thing happens to you know, particularly a lot of our dwarf loripedalums and things like yeah. that. They'll burn every year, yeah, because those stems are just so tiny. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're they're going to come back, and but, they're looking really good. But they're out there, you know. They're cleaning them up. They're cut. If you hadn't done it so already, already, go ahead. If you're going to go ahead and cut these roses back. Typically, you know, I say about knee high, and then Jim and Veda would say knee high to a what. You know, giraffe. to a yeah. giraffe. That's, that's a tall okay, road, that'll work. Right? Yeah. But get out there and cut them back. Uh, get all that debris out of there. You can put a little lime around them. Make sure that pH is up where it needs to be. Go ahead and feed them with some rose tone uh, and just get them ready. Uh, now, like Jim was just saying a while ago, you know, a lot of these roses have already started to flush out. And we're probably not done with cold weather yet. So, yes, could we get some cold weather in here later on and have that new tissue burn? We can, and we probably they, will. Won't they take to like twenty eight before they start burning? Yeah, probably no, take maybe even lower than yeah. that. Yeah. Roses are really tough. Yeah, you know, yeah. people. Oh, uh, 
underestimate their hardiness. You know, they, they think they're a lot of trouble. And if you're growing hybrid teas and a you lot a of little them, more spraying, you got there is a spray program if you want to have the foliage or a drench clean. program now, yeah. program now that you don't even have to spray. Uh, but anyway, um, you made me forget what I was talking about. <laughs> well, but you're saying, Jim, but roses overall yeah, are tough little plants. They're tough, you know. I have had to move them in July. Cut them back just like they were a brand new rose with no foliage on them, 12 inches high, and have them back in bloom in fall. Oh, yeah. So, I yeah. mean, you know, they're just so tough. The, yeah. wor- the hardest thing I ever had to do was this lady had a beautiful rose garden. The foliage is beautiful and perfect, and the blooms are amazing. She's moving in July and wanting to take all her roses with her. Mm. Having to cut those all the way back to move them was I painful. I know. <laughs> and then take them up and try to move them in July. Yeah, yeah. You know? It worked, though. So, it worked. We did have a few losses because it was just so intense. Yeah, but, but fingers still crossed on most of the roses out there. And then I was walking through the roses yesterday, and we know there's so many different varieties. You know, the hybrid teas are typically your long stem cutting rose, and then there's grandiflores like the Queen Elizabeth that you can still cut and put in a vase. You know, the roses have long stems yeah. on them and floribundas, and then the shrub roses. And the shrub roses is what you see a lot of people planting nowadays whether it's the drift roses mm-hmm. which to me is like a dwarf knockout yeah okay? <laughs> and then uh there's the petite knockout right. now which is a dwarf knockout yes that i saw yesterday so there's a lot of them to choose from and the beauty of them is there's not that many shrubs out there that will bloom from spring all the way through fall think about it uh and they do mm-hmm. and that's why they're so popular well, the Lenten rose, which is not a rose, but the Lenten rose, to me, it seemed like the cold made them happier. Mm-hmm. I feel like they had way more blooms than normal. Yeah. So they was, didn't care at it's all It's funny, Veda, I was talking to a customer yesterday about mm-hmm. Lenten rose, and she's got quite a few of them. And she's got some of the old, old-fashioned Lenten rose, mm-hmm. you know, with the pointed, uh, yeah. pointed foliage. And then she's got a lot of the new hybrids also. And, of course— you know, there's almost as many Lenten rows out there now as there are hostas. No you know, kidding. Yeah. Which is great because I love them all. But she said they just shook off that cold like it was just a bad cold. <laughs> That's what she said. Yeah. I, I mean, it, they, yeah, they got a little burnt on the foliage yeah. that was above ground at that time but they they could have cared less. And I got in some you know? beautiful Lenten rows. The, the blooms are just full on the plant but the cool thing is the foliage is beautiful. I've got one that is kind of rosy in the foliage, and mm-hmm. you can see some veins on it. We it's have a beautiful. good file, too, on, on the website about hellebores, and it, and I've got little arrows on there to indicate the ones that hold their flowers upright yeah. so that you can see them. So, <laughs> right. Uh, it's, a, it's a good file. And that's the beauty of a lot of these new hybrids. Like you're talking about, Jim, the flowers, you know, holding their heads up, mm-hmm. and then Veda's talking about that pretty mm-hmm. foliage because, to me, the old, old-fashioned hellebores, the foliage was okay, but it was nothing right. special at all. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how they look now with these yeah. these new ones on the y'all market. Have, y'all, y'all have to get some because they like dry shade, too. They, <laughs> they do. Yeah. You know, you know, that's the one thing I miss living at my daughter's house is there's no shade except what's under the boat. <laughs> oh, <know>? dear. So, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to plant hellebores and hostas. Oh, no. <laughs> well, yes. He'll no, find a I place. I just might have to put a sun sail up, <laughs> you know, yeah. and make but, a shade garden. You know, in, the, in the secret garden, I have and had for three years now 
um, big, big the big umbrellas, mm-hmm. then I could shade some of no, the plants. No, you the, would yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. Why I, not? I told you I you had that. Think about it. Why not? <laughs> had that beautiful dawn yeah. redwood, and it had limbs that were you know very low and spread out, so you couldn't garden under them. So I had trimmed it way up, which took out a lot of the shade. Uh, that was there. So I've, oh. I've got three nice turquoise umbrellas that, you know, I set up during the heat of the summer to shade the hydrangeas. Uh, and, uh, Who would have thought so, that umbrellas mm-hmm. would have been yard art that, that, pre- yeah. that are also serving another purpose? Yeah, right. And now they're back in shade, so mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I really don't think I'm going to have to use them, so may, I may move them to Christie's house. And then the idea <laughs> right. of... Yeah. And then the idea of what Jim just said... Mm-hmm. You know, cutting up limbs on the bottom of his what redwood? Dawn it's a golden, the dawn, dawn redwood, redwood, a golden yeah. redwood, not because of the aesthetic look of it, because he needed room to, to plant. plant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I've yeah. went to someone's house before, and she goes, "What am I going to do? I have no room to plant." And I'm going, "Huh? Well, let's limb this up, and we can <laughs> limb this holly up, and now you've got space to plant." That's mm-hmm. pretty funny. Good lord. Yeah. I'm getting. I'm. I'm liking the dawn redwoods more and more. It's oh, I've such always a loved beautiful them. tree. Yeah, you know, straight, perfect trunk. Uh, grows rapidly. This one is. I'm going to say ten to twelve years old. I've mm-hmm. had it, and it's a good twenty feet over the top of the, our house. So I mean, and it, it's, it's and it probably wasn't right affected 40. by this cold like the Cryptomeria no, were. Yeah. Not at all. You know, because it's deciduous. You mm-hmm. know. It and I also have a, a um, um, false larch, which is very similar, but a really more uh, softer texture foliage than the gold, than the dawn red. You said wood. you have a larch. Yeah, it's There's, a false larch. Yeah, but uh, uh, and it's a golden one also. But foliage is spectacular. I bet that's beautiful in the fall. Yeah, yeah, we do. All right, y'all, hang on. We're gonna take a break. Call us nine zero one two six zero five nine two six. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Well, if, it's going to rain today. Maybe 50%, but if you want to give us a call, Miss Veda, 260-5926, 901-260-5926. Of course, you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text there. Mm-hmm. And if you miss all of this wonderful show every Saturday morning, you can go back at your convenience, kwamradio.com, streaming live all the time, and listen to the podcast. Yeah, y'all yeah, download the podcast and uh, show everybody how much you like listening to us. All right, the weather coming up. All right, it's it's about to get chilly. So, golly, we're looking at Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night with temperatures approaching freezing. Or maybe slightly below in the outlying areas. So I think, and it looks like it's going to be clear, all three of those. So we run a danger of frost. So if you have anything that's exposed, I would throw leaves over it or, you know. Now, when you say anything, you mean tender. Tender stuff. Perennials, Jim. Things like hydrangea, new foliage, rose new foliage. They're not going to be damaged. Yeah. You know. Uh, at least nothing that you would notice because yeah. the first set of leaves that are coming out are going to end up covered by the next set of leaves, yeah. which are going to be fine. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's just damaging the foliage but not stopping it right, from growing. Right. Yeah. It doesn't look like it's going to be cold enough to do any of that. But if you got, like I do, you know, hostas popping up and 
every year almost my hardy orchids the blatillas mm-hmm. will get up mm-hmm. and they'll get a frost on them yeah. and so the rest of the season they have a f- squared off foliage right. where the frost took it off mm-hmm. yeah so you know i think maybe one year Jim's out like, of 20 not this year yeah. you know so you know and they're up really tall so mm-hmm. you know i'm gonna have to throw some leaves over them. well that's gonna be my next question jim do you use just what you have around like leaves or do you get yeah. frost cloth or any of that I, stuff? I don't i don't have anything that i would in, in yeah. my garden would be so difficult to put frost cloth okay. over um so no i just throw leaves over them you know now, and, and some things i just don't worry about because i know again the new foliage is going to cover yeah, all that yeah. now what if you had cold crops like lettuce and broccoli and and you know those kind of things I mean, even though they can take really cold weather yeah. Most of the the cold crops, broccoli, Brussels yeah. sprouts, cabbage, they're not going to be harmed. Be if you've fine. got leaf lettuce, yeah. it could get zapped. So I would just, again, kick some leaves over yep. them just to protect them, and they'll be fine. Golly. Uh, so this is, what, Saturday? So this is coming early Monday, next Tuesday, week? Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then the following weekend, it looks like we're going to have some temperatures that may be below freezing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we talk about our last freeze date is normally around March 27th, mm-hmm. but our frost date's around April 15th. Mm-hmm. So we're still well within mm-hmm. the range there of, yeah. of having cold weather. Uh, and, and that one may be, of course, we're 10 days out, and Mother mm-hmm. Nature really hadn't made up her mind yet. Mm. But it's uh, it looks like right now that it could be. Now, the good news is our weather's about to change because we have had a year and a half of La Nina, and it is gone. Okay. Colder water in the Pacific. So it is now neutral. Uh, and in all the history, we've only had like – Five or no El Nino, the mm-hmm. warmer water has never gone on for like more than four or five seasons, and so it looks like it's time for that and, water. And what, to warm how up. would that affect our weather, though? That if that well, warmer that tip, water in the Pacific is kind of moved along, that makes our southern t- typically uh, more prone to moisture than we are when we have a La Nina. So um, that that's mostly what it does for us. It does some weird things on, around the tropics, but. Uh, but does it affect our winters at all, Jim? Uh, it, it does tend to make them a little wetter, but a little warmer. Okay. Well, so. I don't know. I, I like the cold winter. Well, not for we, long expended, <clears throat> not for long times, but I still want to have the winter. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't mind cold winters. We just don't want it to happen overnight, like it yeah, did back right, in December. Right. Yeah. I still like that snow that we had two years, three years ago. Yeah, the biggest snow, now. yeah. I, I liked that. That was fun. And all these little shrubs, the the spireas, and all well, all these little shrubs that are starting to you know push out new growth. Uh, what do you think about those, Jim? I mean, even the, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Yeah, there's not going to be any issue there. No, yeah. the, the ups. The good thing is, California has had like 25 feet of snow out yeah. there, mm-hmm. so Amazing. it's going to make a major dent in their drought out there. It's yeah. going to help them a whole yeah. lot. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay, so think about this. We're getting shrubs in from Alabama or North Carolina, and they've already flushed out somewhat. They're going to need some protection. Yeah, so that so like if you've been out buying shrubs that you know have the new growth or the new flush, they may not be hardened off like the ones that are here that have already flushed. Even azaleas, I've seen azaleas that are just flushed out in the containers that look mm-hmm. you know all that new growth is absolutely beautiful. And of course, we all know that we can plant trees and shrubs this mm-hmm. early in the year. But you're saying Veda, some of that stuff that's come out of the little warmer climates further south of us. 
mm-hmm. and we get some of these really cold temperatures back in here or some killing frost back in here, there again, it's not going to kill your tree or shrub, mm-hmm. but to protect that new growth. Right. Almost ever fails that you get a, a, a load of blooming azaleas out yeah. of the gulf and <laughs> suddenly you've got to cover them or ice them down or something to protect the flowers. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. Well, like in our greenhouse, I kept the sides, half of the sides up most of the winter because I didn't want it to be acclimated to the tropical conditions and just lowered the sides and tucked it in real good when we were in the dangerous really cold, cold times right. because I wanted everything to be acclimated more to what was outside, even though it was still protected. It kind of reminds me of, of Mr. Paul when he was growing his ground covers, his sedums. Mm-hmm. You know, he would grow most of those in outdoor yeah. Greenhouses, right, you know, right. not in these closed up tight, you know, hold the heat in mm-hmm. tropical feeling greenhouses because he knew that he wanted to keep the hardiness of these things. You didn't want to bring something out of a greenhouse and set it outside yeah. and then you get it down to 31 degrees and it dies. Right. And that's right. one of the things I transplanted this week is several varieties of sedums. Yeah. They look, they look beautiful. Yeah. They're just coming out oh. really nice. You know, when I first got into this business, we used to buy all of our azaleas from a nursery down in Louisiana, Renee mm-hmm. Cassidaban, and he didn't grow them in containers. He grew them in sawdust in shade houses. And when he would <laughs> cut them out, they had root systems about two inches mm-hmm. deep, but they would be 10 or 15 inches wide. And we would bring them in in the fall so they would bloom at the right time. Yeah. Well, they were never as pretty as Dan West had, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> they would bloom at the right time. Right. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, people just don't realize how difficult it is to get the timing right for garden centers right. to have it ready for yeah. what a customer expects it to look like at that time. Yeah, you're right. And it used to not be so difficult when there weren't the box stores that would just bring stuff in for fun. Mm-hmm. Well, not for fun, but they would bring it in and at the wrong times. And then the um, independent stores were expected to have some of this stuff, too. It's like it happens with the annuals. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. We, had, we had to get a dishwasher this week, and it's just... Walking by the the box store there, they had all kinds of annuals mm-hmm. out there, you know, just... Knowing that if you put them out there this early, then right. you're really taking a big chance yeah. on those things not getting damaged by some these late freezes mm-hmm. or these late... There's these, a garden these center. late frost. Garden center down Tupelo, Phillips Garden Center, and he would never bring in his color until after april 15 mm-hmm. yeah everybody else had there right yeah and but we, we'll he use just it. always felt like he said i'm, I'm doing a disservice to yeah my customer. that's what yeah. we you know, yeah. and he had the guts to do it you know i, I know. never did we but, tried yeah. <laughs> we, we, we still get in a little yeah. too early i feel we all do but we but tell we people yeah. you know let's say if you go out there you got customers coming in in early april because they're ready to get something in the mm-hmm. ground or at least get something in containers when they're having get-togethers parties or whatever but we even tell them then now listen you know on these tender plants be careful the frost date is april 15th Mm -hmm. anything can happen between now and then which usually it does (laughs) but most people are like i don't care give me that flat i'm putting it in the ground or in these beds i'll come back and replant if i have to right well love those kind of of customers (laughs) but you know we can put something evergreen in the container add some um english ivy maybe some different varieties for some different textures and colors um look for some yellow possibly uh ground covers or or, you know that way you can have a container with some foliage which looks good if you can't find veda you've always been good at, at creating containers and i never forget i saw a container that you did one one year 
and it was nothing but annual rye in it, okay? Grass. <laughs> and I'm thinking, that looks awesome. You know, and, and it looked nothing like her mixes and matches that she normally does with perennials, annuals, ground covers, the whole bit that she mixes all in there. But I'm like, you know, I, I would never have ever thought of putting just grass in a container yeah. and, you know, put, either, put them on either side of your door or whatever mm-hmm. for a party or whatever you're having. And it looked great. That's you know what like, they say, city folk will buy anything. Yeah, they will. <laughs> it's like a, yeah, yeah you got to get grass some kind of way. It's like, it was like a rest for your eyes, a rest just, for your soul for a minute. You know, you're looking at all the beautiful color, and then you kind of look at that and go, oh, and, and then I just, on. I won't forget it. I'm just, how creative is this girl, you know? Well, let's go to a break. And um, give us a call, 901-260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardens. Well, houseplants, if you took them outside to get some fresh air, I took mm-hmm. mine out to get fresh air, mm-hmm. and so I'm bringing them back in now. Why are you bringing them back in? Because of what Jim said a while ago? Yeah, I've been checking the temperature as well, and I, you know, it's still too chilly, really. I mean, we were chilly, really? Because normally I don't take them out this soon anyway. Well, don't call me really. Yeah, right, Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> so normally we take them out don't take them out at this time but, well, but the weather so was nice. fantastic right. yeah and i mean i could see them edging toward the window and i could see their leaves on the window going let please me out, get me out of here out. but you're right i mean house plants especially any house plant that typically you have a problem with or that's struggling for whatever reason you know too much water not enough water too hot too dry mm-hmm. in the house i mean you take them outside and they just you can Instantly. just yes <laughs> they do but like you just said Veda, we can't it's kind of like in the fall you know a lot of times we forget to bring them in mm-hmm. before we get really yeah. cold weather well this is the same thing if you've already taken some out which a lot of people have don't forget to bring them back in you can always run them back out mm-hmm. you know after this week or yeah. two of uh, chilly weather you know that we're going to have but you're so right don't forget to not to bring, bring those them things in. in. Yeah, and you know, the thing about watering house plants, you really, really, on the big ones, do not have to water the entire root ball, the entire thing fully. It seems, what, do you mean, what do you mean by you that? You know, like you don't put, say the container's um House plants in like a seven gallon container. Okay, so, so I mean, yeah, a you four, don't like a fourteen inch pot. Inch yeah, pot. fourteen yeah. inch pot. Yeah, so you don't like water and water and water and have it just draining out the bottom and then let let it sit for a minute and see if it soaks it back up. Right. You're just watering enough to get the top three or four inches wet, and because the bottom's always a little moist, always. Mm-hmm. And if I have to wait till those bottom, that bottom dries out the top where the roots are are going to need water uh, so i'm net we're never pouring a bunch of water in the bigger containers and it's working so much better well it's kind of like drenching. jim's sponge theory remember yeah. the wettest mm-hmm. part of any pot is going to be at the bottom end of the pot yeah. of course uh, and that's why a lot of times when we put in six inches of gravel that's what he means by yeah. pushing up the water table but you're right now. But but still, if you do go in there and soak a container mm-hmm. that's got a, a plant in it, and of course you let it drain out and you empty the saucer, of course, you know, of excessive moisture after you're done, then we just, you know, we, we warn people and we tell people all the time when it comes to these houseplants, 
you know, typically you let them get on the dry side before you come back and water again. Because, as always, everyone overwaters their houseplants. We get it. Yeah. Everyone does it. Uh, Until they, you know, after the 20 houseplants that they kill, Mm -hmm. you know, they finally learn that, hey, I'm overwatering this thing. So you're right, Veda. Um, I I still, you know, once a week, typically, you know, I know that doesn't fit everything, Mm -hmm. uh, depending on the size of the pot. And usually the bigger the pot... I can almost go two weeks. Right. Almost inside. You can almost go two weeks. And then, the, like the little minis that are in the two-inch containers, the four-inch, even the six-inch, um, you ha- now those you have to drench mm-hmm. real good because they fit their container. But when you're getting in the bigger Because mm-hmm. uh, you got so much more soil in those bigger pots, mm-hmm. and it does take longer for that bottom part of that pot to dry out because the top's yeah. drying out faster than right. that bottom, okay? you take the moisture meter and put it in the bottom in the little holes and it's, it reads just wet as can be, but then you'll take the moisture meter and push it down in, in four inches and it's dry. So you've got to water that part, yeah, but it's worked so much better. And that's also where it's really important to make sure that you're using a good high-quality potting soil. You know, growing up, I, you know, when I saw the word potting soil, potting soil is potting soil. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a soil I'll to put in a pot. I'll get it at the dollar store, yeah. at the grocery store, at wherever, yeah, but now? Especially mm-hmm. with some of these houseplants, because some of these houseplants can be really finicky when it comes to their root system and it comes to water. And the better, <laughs> the better potting soil that you use, I promise you, it just makes your life easier. It's kind of like we always preach when you're planting in a garden. You know, take a minute to really get that soil ready before you come back and plant. I don't care if it's a tomato, cucumber, pepper, whatever. Yeah. The same thing goes with container-grown plants. So it's really important to pay attention to that stuff. Yeah. Now, let me ask you all a question, because sometimes I see this. You order houseplants, okay? And, like you said, some of the smaller houseplants, because you can get houseplants now in a half-inch pot, Mm -hmm. okay? But it seems like, depending on where you buy it from, and they all— all these growers use different soils. Now, for the most part, the soils that you, when you buy a houseplant, it's great. But I've seen some where it, it just hardens up at the top. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's almost crusty. And yes. I'm like, that thing needs to come out of this pot in a, in, in really in a better quality potting soil. Right. Uh, sometimes I put a layer of worm castings on and chop it, uh, turn it up a little, kind of mix it. That helps um, if I don't want to pull it right out of the container. So you're top dressed with uh, earthworm castings, and you do that really almost mm-hmm. anyway, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And we do. We go around and um, take like a scoop of worm castings and put it around the larger house plants because, mm-hmm. you know, larger house plants don't move out as fast as right. like the four inch or the six inch. You know, they'll turn pretty quick. But um, I've, we just had much better results with, with not soaking the bigger containers. And do either one of y'all prefer a granulated fertilizer over a water-soluble or a water-soluble over granulated, or do you use both, not or do both. you care? In containers, I only use a, a time-release type fertilizer. Mm-hmm. I don't like water-solubles because they tend to form soluble salts, that little white crusty stuff you see at the drain holes or right around the soil surface uh, at the edge of the pot. Uh, Those salts 
<clears throat> can be absorbed by the plant. And what it ends up doing is browning the tips of mm-hmm. things like dracaenas. Mm-hmm. It accumulates in the in the tips and the margins of the leaves. So if you're getting burn along that, you can be pretty much sure that you've got salt buildup. And what if you're using like a good organic water-soluble gem? I mean, that, that you know doesn't have a lot of salt or any salts in there. And that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the quick-release stuff, yeah. you know, the miracle Grow type product. miracle Grow is great if you want to go outside and spray your annuals. Yeah. I mean, it gives them a little, like, two-day burst of uh, sugar like giving it to a kid or something but it's uh, i mean it's not what we would call a top quality fertilizer Uh, but i like to use um i've been using fertilomes knockoff of osmocote Mm -hmm. and 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 it works really well and whether that's the start and grow or whatever right and some of the larger pots i'll actually use agroform tablets in because i buy them to feed my water plants uh and i'll put some of those in there i've got a um uh, a giant squill that you only water it about twice a year. Um, in yeah, <laughs> it will go six months in the summertime as a dormant bulb, and then the foliage comes up in the wintertime and it blooms the next spring, and then it goes dormant again. Uh, it has not pretty bloomed amazing. for me yet, but it's, you know, I've kept it alive. And it's pretty easy. To, you know, if you don't have to water mm-hmm. a plant, it's pretty easy to keep it alive. Yeah. <laughs> so true, <laughs> yeah. so true. One thing that I uh, was going to mention <laughs> on the houseplant thing, but I uh, spaced out, you know how that goes, uh, was, okay, we had a customer come in and she was looking for a plant stand. And I asked her what size pot was going to go on it. And it was like a 10-inch pot. Right. So we're looking around. And I said, well, what kind of plant's going to be in it? Because I want to get the ratio right and, and all of that. And she said, well, I have a 4-inch philodendron. And I'm just going to plant it in this 10-inch pot and mm. just let it grow and just take care of itself. Not a good idea. And I was like, oh. I said, you can't, you know, that's that, you know, explain to her why that's not going to work and all. And she goes, hmm. Well, I've bought the plant, and I've got my whole plan. Yep. She goes, well, that's that okay. That means I need to get a plant for that pot, which means I get another pot <laughs> and another plant stand for my plant. But the thing is, is you can't put a small plant, a house plant. Like a, in, that's in a four-inch pot or yeah. a six-inch pot. You don't want to bump it all the way up to a 10-inch yeah. pot. And the reason being, <clears throat> and I get why people think that way, because they're thinking, okay, I can put it in this pot, and it'll be forever before mm-hmm. I have to replant it. But then again, you take that little root system of that plant, and then you're surrounding it with all of that soil. Yeah. And you're watering. You know, when you water, you have to water. So that soil is staying because you have so much more soil around that root system. It's hard to monitor the mm-hmm. moisture and get it right. right. But then when you go outside, it's a different story. When you're watering outside versus watering inside, the water evaporates or is used so much more efficiently than but you, than inside but you never really go up more than one or no no more than two yeah. pot sizes do you no Ever. no yeah. all right y'all wow that was a quick hour wasn't it we've got so much more to go y'all hang on we'll be right back after these messages The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yes, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, um, the other guy. You know, um, it's like when I talk about uh, people on this show, I mean, who I do the show with, I'm like... Uh, 
I've got Kenneth at Dan West, and I've got Jim, who's all over. Uh, yeah, and one of the <laughs> from everything he's all over is the Facebook page, Jim. That's right. Or if you haven't joined, I invite you to Mid South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zone Six, Seven, and Eight. You know, um, I don't know if anybody that hasn't joined. Uh, I don't think there's anybody get, left. We're getting a whole bunch. Um, we've had a couple of hundred this month alone. So we're about eighty five hundred right now. Mm-hmm. I think I mean, followers. Good you Lord. know, and we got uh, about four thousand active. So that's you know that are, are checking it. And Jim, those recently. zones because we're in like zone seven B. Some people say uh-huh. eight. Some people just say seven. Yeah. Let's <laughs> just say seven B. Okay. What are where? How big of an area do those other zones encompass? Well, that would be from uh, uh, 100, 150, 200 miles each side of okay. Baltimore to Dallas. Okay. So, you know, the vast majority of the people in the United States would fall into that. Really? Yeah. I didn't know. Isn't that crazy? And, and it's just... It's <laughs> wet, same weather, same insect issues, pretty much, you know. Same same low-median temp- temperatures. Yeah. Soils are going to vary some difference, yeah. you know. Uh, and there'll be... There's some plant differences, but not a whole lot. Um, but, you know, mostly it's issues people have That's right. concerns about. Uh, so, you know, they're pretty much the same all across. Well, one of the issues I think we're going to have this year, and I guess we say this about the same time every year, Invader, you made a comment, I think, two or three weeks ago about it, is dang slugs and snails. And I've already had people coming in that had planted some lettuce. We talked about lettuce a while ago and already had slugs on them mm-hmm. or snails on them. And, you know, it's like, well, the beauty nowadays is there are slug and snail baits that you can sprinkle out there that are extremely safe to use yeah. around me, you, the dog, the cat, around vegetables and everything else, unlike the old slug right. baits of years past. Well, I was talking about slugs on how their slimy trails was used in face cream. <laughs> yes. So then why why do you want to kill that slug? Just get down there and because get those slimy and put it on your face. You know, but when I think, I about, see that, I think about growing leaf lettuce, you know, and put, cutting some and taking it inside, having to wash it and then finding a slug yeah. and it just makes me want to buy my lettuce at Kroger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it does. But the, uh, the iron phosphide is the active in most of these slug baits now, uh, and it does a good job in getting rid of sl- uh, snow. And it's a good fertilizer. Snails and slugs. Mm-hmm. It, it is. You're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> and now there are, uh, there are some slug baits that have the iron phosphide, but it also has the spinosad in it. Uh, which is the slug and snail killer bug. plus mm. yeah. plus bugs <laughs> right? So it gets insects also. So you know, like I told her, and she actually bought a you know container of it. Is that it's not as as hard to get rid of them, uh, or surely not as dangerous. The products that we're using to get rid of them as it used to be. But I think, you know, and we, I guess with all the moisture that we've had, mm-hmm. you know, they love it. Yeah, we kind of yeah. need to take away their environment a lot of Good times. Luck. cleaning, That's, Yeah, cleaning around yeah. the plants. The leaves, all the wet debris, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Expose the soil some so the turn the soil a little bit so the snail eggs can yep, come to the exposed. top and the birds can get them. Yeah. But, I mean, we'll have to wait and see if they're going to be a big-time problem later on this spring. They could be, you know, because, you know, the weather is just conducent, I guess, for slugs and snails every year this time of year. So we'll wait and see. But the good thing is there are some really good, safe products out there to use. Because you remember when metaldehyde was on the market, people would use it. And the complaint was it looked like dog food. Yeah. Okay? 
And dogs would walk by and go, well, there's some dog food there. And, of course, it was extremely That's toxic. That's what they said. And yeah, they, you yeah. can hear them. They're right. like, there's the dog food. Yeah, well. And, so, they, and then they put Bitrex in it, which is supposed to make it bitter, but I think it just flavored it oh, for the dogs. You're so good point. Right. <laughs> That's you know, true, yeah. You know, children probably wouldn't eat it because yeah. it really is bitter, but, you know, the dogs don't seem to mind. No. <laughs> yeah, right. That wasn't a good thought, yeah, then. I told you a story one time. I was putting out dog repellent in the first house we had. Oh, on on, <laughs> on uh, faxing and I sprinkled it all in there and I threw a bag over to the side and grabbed another bag and started sprinkling out and looked back and the neighbor's dog had picked up the bag and just <laughs> run around the yard with it. <laughs> yeah. So you immediately stopped what you were doing thought, because well, this it wasn't doing working. a lot of good. <laughs> and we hear that all the time. And then, you know, you, the squirrel, you know, mm-hmm. people will put these different repellents and they'll try anything in the world unless you do what Jim did. You know, to keep a squirrel from raiding your bird uh, feeder display, and they, yeah, they'll put this squirrel away and some of this other stuff in there with the bird seed. You know, like I said, that squirrel is sitting there gnawing on the empty package that you used. Mm-hmm. You know, to help mm-hmm. repel him. Yeah, it, 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 sometimes the repellents work and sometimes they don't. Now there are some good repellents on the market, but like I tell people. There's not a repellent on the market that is 100% effective against everything you want it to repel. It just is mm-hmm. not going to happen. Right, that's true, yeah. But I do like, honestly, the, the shake-away products, mm-hmm. which I know sounds crazy, which is the granulated urine, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's Cody urine, Fox urine, or a combination of the two. Now, we don't have a lot of moose around here, you know, so I don't know if we need Cody as much as we would use, like, Fox. But they seem to do a pretty darn good job they do. in repelling mm-hmm. most of the little critters that are out there. Yeah, yeah, and it's been around for a long time. It, it works really good. I agree with that. The liquid fence works pretty good, too. It I does. like that product. And then the repels all by Bonide. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're all good products. You kind of you need to switch between them, really. Yeah, because, you know, they'll get used to something. And then, you know, there was a, uh, you know, and we see this every year. Customer came in, not only with the picture, but he was armed with the sample also, okay? And it was a the limb of a, a Japanese maple. And, of course, you could see, and it was cut, and it would have been gnawed. You could see the teeth marks in it. And he's like, what in the heck is going on with my Japanese maple? And I said, it's a squirrel. <laughs> he is gnawing. And we've seen this mm-hmm. many, many times before, the limbs and even the trunk to some extent. And he's like, why in the heck are they gnawing on my Japanese maple? And I said, whether they're, you know, sharpening their teeth for something else, you know. So he was like, okay, so what can I do? And it comes to that point where either we have to physically put a barrier, chicken wire or something, on there to keep that uh, squirrel from getting to the tissue, or we have to use repellents. And uh, so he did buy some of the shakeaway, and he was going to put it in these little satchels and just hang it on mm-hmm. the tree. To where because it works by a sense of smell, and I said, "Well, you know, just let me know, uh, you know, what you think about it." We well, came back a couple of weeks later and said he hadn't seen any more mm. damage. So, you know, now the, another person might do it, and that squirrel might be more hard headed and it not work on him. Yeah. And that's why what I mean, where it's not a hundred percent effective against every critter that you're trying to use it against. But they have done a really good job. But, I mean, this guy was beside himself, y'all. They were eating this Japanese maple up, I'm telling you. And they were just stripping the, the outer bark, you know? Just why? Probably building just a nest why? or sharpening those teeth. Yeah. <clears throat> or, yeah, they'll cut limbs for 
for the nest, yes, but also, yeah. you know, just to get moisture sometimes. And then, Jim, on top of that, a couple of days ago, a guy came in. He was picking up a lot of these tips of his magnolia limbs. Yeah. And he's like, God, it looks like these things have just been gnawed. Mm-hmm. He had no idea. And I'm like, they have been gnawed. Yeah. You know, so can these squirrels out there, I mean, can they really do some damage? That They can. Now, like I told this guy with the magnolia veda, it's not going to hurt that magnolia tree. Mm-hmm. No. Now, it's a just nuisance. Just pruned it a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Tip pruning. It, it's a nuisance. But, and then he's like, well, what can I do? And I said, you know, on a tree this big. And he's got other access to get to that tree. I said, mm-hmm. this really, unless you get out there without the neighbor seeing you and, and, and with a nice pellet gun, there's really not, not a whole lot you can do. But in this case with the Japanese maple, it was a weeping Japanese maple, much smaller. It's only like six foot tall. So you can do a repellent around something like that. Yeah. How can you repel a big magnolia right. tree? Squirrels out of there, you can't. And they're not going to hurt the magnolia, like nah. you said, at all. So just let them, let them have that, and maybe that'll keep them away from some of the other things. Let's go to a break, and y'all get your gardening questions together. And y'all can watch us on Facebook Live. You can also post questions on Facebook Live. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Y'all give us a call, 260-5926. That's area code 901. Yeah, it is. Or you can shoot us a text like Miss Wendy Johnston did on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. She said, Jim mentioned not to worry about protecting hydrangeas from the coming cool weather, which we know is coming, okay? Uh, We have an oak leaf hydrangea that is approximately six foot tall, and it has leaves already on it, guys. Should we be concerned? Uh, Jim, what do you think? Well, here's the issue. Uh, if it's in shade, the only thing I would be worried about would be a hard freeze. Mm. Okay, it's not going to frost even in the shade of a deciduous tree. Usually, even so, if we get a frost, you're not going to get the frost up under that shade tree. That's right. <laughs> so, it, it, in most cases, I think they're going to be fine, yeah, even if, though it is brand new tender if, foliage. If the bud w- is still alive after this, you know, because the bud could have the flower bud could have actually been killed. Mm-hmm. Um, so. If it doesn't bloom, it's not necessarily because of the spring. It may be related back to our flash freeze. And you're saying that oak leaf hydrangeas typically are growing in the shade under the canopy of something, right, Jim? Right. So they're going to be more protected from a killing frost than something that's out there in the open. Right. You know, you, you... even under deciduous trees, you seldom get a hard frost up yeah. underneath there. Now, but it wouldn't hurt to go out there if she wanted to be extra cautious and extra careful and go the extra mile. It's just wrap this with a shade cloth. Throw something over it, a yeah. sheet or something, yeah. just to keep the frost off of it. And then the worst case scenario, let's say she doesn't even get a killing frost on it, but we get some of those freezing temperatures. Then at the very, I guess, worst, it could burn some of that foliage, but they're, again, not really having an effect on the shouldn't on the oak leaf hydrangea itself they're pretty tough native to this area and usually they fare just fine and and veda you've seen it also on the oak leaves you know how we were talking about the old-fashioned pinks and blues were killed to the ground man these oak leaves are coming out beautiful Mm -hmm. i mean no problem whatsoever because i guess to me it you know it makes me think they're more of a mountainous type plant anyway Mm -hmm. you know you drive around uh you know pickwick for example up there in, you know, the foothills of the Smokies. Those oak leaf hydrangeas are growing wild up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are pulling them out and throwing them out. <laughs> They're getting rid of them. Uh, isn't that weird to think that that mm-hmm. a person would be, you would have so many oak leaf hydrangeas, you'd just throwing them away. Yeah. That would be great. So Wendy, I like that. Um, Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, so Wendy, uh, 
yeah, overall, they're going to be perfectly fine. You know, the worst case scenario, you get a little burn mm-hmm. uh, on that brand new young tissue. Uh, if you really want to, like I said, go the extra mile, you can get that frost cloth, which is just a real lightweight cloth. Love the stuff. And just drape it over it and tie it at the bottom. And it would just keep that that any killing frost that potentially would get on there. Now, the frost cloth still holds in some heat. So it would help a little bit from extremely cold temperatures, you know, especially if you're yeah. just having them some overnight. Mm-hmm. If the ground is warm going into yeah, it. Then right. it. Yeah, then it can hold that <laughs> in. I like that Alice in Wonderland oak leaf. If, if you don't have like a big <coughs> space for it, mm-hmm. that Alice in Wonderland is that the really dwarf? pretty. Mm, yeah. That's a dwarf. Peewee's a good dwarf. Looks really nice. Um, there are a number of them now that are small. And there's and, Sims Beauty that gets pretty big. Sims mm-hmm. Beauty gets big, and um, was it uh, Snowflake? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. I yeah, think is that Snowflake. one. That one's always been real popular. Um, I do love them. Yeah, they're they're really good plants. And like I say, they're native. Uh, they they're used to our area, so they they really make a nice large show if you've got room for a big one and then a backdrop also a lot of times in these shaded environments like in the corner of a yard yeah. where you have a tree and you got a bed back there you can have these oak leaves kind of as a backdrop and then your ferns and hostas mm-hmm. and azaleas and everything in front of it but it does make a really pretty backdrop yeah. also oh that sounds so pretty well, you, know you what just I'm saying, yeah, yeah. I like that. That put me right to the summertime. Mm. Missed the spring totally. That's a summertime look. Now, what about the uh, the new growth on a lot of this other stuff? Not the oak leaves, but just things in general that are mm. flushing back out. And, you know, to me, everything's like two weeks early this year. Yeah. And, you know, so... But now it's slowing down. <laughs> yeah, but but it, this is not y'all. This is not a flash freeze that's coming through. Yeah, this is no. just a normal thing we have. Yeah. So yeah. there again, at worst case scenarios, typically speaking, you're going to get maybe just a little damage on some of this brand new tender foliage, a burn, if you will, uh, and they're going to flush back out anyway. And no. even even roses, you know how they're flushing out right now. Could you get a little burn on those with this cold weather coming in? Yeah, but is it going to hurt them? Not yeah, really. And, and everything, you know, the leaves that are coming out now are going to be the first ones on that stem. They're going to continue to produce leaves. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be totally covered, um, you know, pr- on pretty much everything. So you know, there's really nothing to be too terribly concerned yeah. about unless you've, like I say, tried to jump the gun and put, put in tomatoes some and peppers. tomatoes, lettuce, yeah. things like that that can be damaged by a freeze. You know, and we do want to cover those. And remember, guys, the wall of water. Mm-hmm. You know, it was yeah. the, the, the plastic, almost like a little bucket with the bottom cut out yeah. with the clear plastic that you could fill with water. And the water would heat up during the day, and it would hold the heat in there yeah. through the night. And and I've had people, you know, plant tomatoes early in the year and you put wall of water around them to, to kind of get the head start on the guy they bet with, right, that they'll yeah. have tomatoes before they will. So, I bet uh, you still sell those too, don't you? Jim, I have to look and see if I have any left. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't. Dan West is usually the place I go. If I can't find anything, yeah, they got one stuck I've got back in the corner. I'll, I'll let you know, Jim, but uh, I, I don't know why. I, I can't remember if I've put some somewhere. Or I just don't, and I've looked, or I just don't have any, yeah. you know, because I've been moving so much yeah. stuff around. Seems like you'd have to put a top on it, on the wall of water. Well, it just, it's a microclimate because it's so close to the ground. I mean, they're about 12 inches tall, maybe 14 yeah. inches tall. But it holds enough heat in there kind of around this plant to keep that thing, the to keep it from mm-hmm. getting colder than the outside environment. Yeah. 
There's we we try everything, don't of we? Of course we do. Well, that was where the kolosh uh, comes, you know, comes in handy. Am I saying that right? The kolosh, kolosh. It's the glass jar that they that goes over the top of your plants. And now people use them as terrariums or just a nice piece of glass sitting mm-hmm. on your table. With some rocks in it, yeah, marbles. Right, you know, all that. But that was something that was used like forever ago um, to protect your plants from the bad weather. Well, and then remember, But you have to take it off immediately in the morning, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, it's kind of like black plastic. People mm-hmm. would go out there in the winter and cover their plants with plastic. And to me, I, I say that's the worst thing you could possibly do. You can use plastic to protect plants but you never want the plastic touching the tissue of the plant and a lot of people don't get that until it's too late because honestly plastic will transfer that cold right to that tissue if it's touching it Mm -hmm. so i don't mind using plastic if you're building like a frame and and draping the plastic over the frame where the plastic is never touching the tissue because it really does hold in heat but like you said, Veda, we've seen people that do that, yeah, and they won't go out there the next day when the sun comes out, even when it's cold. They'll just leave that plastic on there. And gets to 100 degrees. It, it is amazing. Heartbeat. I mean, yeah. it is truly is the greenhouse yeah. effect, I'm telling mm-hmm. you. And it just wears that plant out. It just tears that tissue up. So you're doing more damage than you are good if you're not doing it the right way. Yeah, the thing we try. Um, you can start some seeds indoors right now. You know, there's a, a number you could do like the pumpkins. Any uh, seed. Else? Yeah, pumpkins. Uh, the bitter melon. Has anybody done a bitter melon before? I don't want a melon this bitter. I know. that. I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, spinach, squash, watermelon. You know, we have to get like some things started early well, to have them harvest before we get into the worst part of the summer season. You know, I love people, honestly, that start whatever from seed. To me, it's almost like the original way to do something yeah, i mean right? it's just the, yeah, the it's the pure way to do something I, okay it worked see all, seeds are always scary to me it seems like i'm always going to fail but when i do gardens you know and you just do the little row and sprinkle your little seeds in there they come up so easily i don't know why i feel like i'm going to fail and they so easy starting them indoors now you can buy you know the little mini greenhouses yeah you know it's got the the, the plastic flat Mm-hmm. It's got the inserts in there, and the insert can either be plastic six-packs. It can be the little peat pellets that are in there, yeah. which to me are so easy to use. But you just put your seed in these little peat pellets, water everything in, and then, in fact, some of them are self-watering. They've got a little water reservoir up mm-hmm. under the peat pellets now, and then you put the clear dome on top, and you're talking about easy, the easiest way to grow seed. Yeah. Can't, it's, it's almost foolproof. I it wonder really how, like, the peat pellets are all peat moss, and we know if they get too dry, it's real hard to rehydrate. So if you start a seed in a peat pellet, and then then it comes, it grows, then you take it and put it in your garden, then you've got, like, two t- different textures of well, but soil, it, it, the but pellet that, that little pellet, though, is only going to be about an inch wide and maybe an inch and a half tall. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about, and that's just where the, the initial root system is, yeah. okay? So, no, it, it's just, it's not enough to where it would make a difference. Yeah, I usually, even using the peat pellets, will take a razor blade or a sharp knife and just put a couple of slits through that mesh, uh, you know, particularly for fast-growing things yeah. like melons and that, uh, so that it doesn't, uh, um, it, it will eventually rot, yeah. but you know, to make sure that it doesn't constrict the roots in it. I, I like that idea. So the peat pellet, 
uh, you are you slit it at the time. Yeah, when, okay. and when you plant it, yeah, you know, yeah. and usually I'll let if I'm growing them from peat pellets, I just let them sit in a little water. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely, right. You know, there's enough. Uh, just let it. It's will suck up through there, but yeah. not stay too wet. Yeah, you uh, know, it's really simple way to grow things. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, the more y'all are talking about this. Beta will start for growing indoors, some yeah, yeah some I feel seed. like that's a good thing. And now that I, that's a great idea, slitting it so the because that was what yeah. my thing was. You don't have to, you know, when you've got individual pots, you have to make sure that water gets in each one of those pots. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing the the pea pellets, you just water the tray, right? You mm-hmm. know, so and it waters it, it up. Yeah, and there was. Uh, Remember the, the, the guys that we had in here two or three weeks ago that were talking about tomatoes, and one of them had won most of the awards at the tomato contest. Uh, remember his the one that won the most awards was a, a tomato that I would never in my life dream <laughs> that would win, and that was the mortgage lifter. Mortgage lifter. Remember, yeah. And that's a, an heirloom tomato that's been around for a long time. But think about it. They're all good tomatoes, but I think I'm going to have to plant a mortgage with yep. this year. And you can start tomatoes indoors right now, right. too. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Okay, we're talking about what you could seed. Uh, You can, like, um, start broccoli. uh, Actually, it should be in the ground now. Yeah, yeah, in the ground now. But does anybody have luck with broccoli? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. And Brussels sprouts? Yes. Because, you know, I've never grown that. I've I've never grown coal crops. And I think the only people that I've ever talked to has not had good results with broccoli and cauliflower. No. I mean, yeah, broccoli, cauliflower. That's fine. As long as you get it in early enough Mm -hmm. that before the heat. Makes it bold. Yeah, I mean, I've seen. So we could do seed now. Do you well, most think we're people, almost too late. Most people are putting in plants. In yeah. fact, you yeah, know, we've I got. I think we're too late. Uh, 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 some vegetables in just the other day, uh, broccoli and Brussels. I mean, no Brussels sprouts. I don't think, but broccoli and cauliflower and cabbage and lettuce and those mm-hmm. kind of things. So they, they're typically they're just putting in plants now. Um, yeah, you would want to start your plants typically end of January, first of February, to be able to go in the ground early march yeah uh and to get them to mature by mid-june or so max right um lettuce i would i would never start lettuce in advance it comes up too quick you know Mm -hmm. i just so when the ground gets warm enough then sow it yeah you know because you can have a crop in less than 30 days uh same with radishes i mean you harvest 28 days later uh, so, fast growing so, yeah. so I could do radishes by seed now yeah, those type things yeah. you could you could go ahead outdoors and do. now you would need to if we got a late frost and had foliage up mm-hmm. on things like that you would lettuce and radishes you'd need to cover them a little bit yeah um, and that's okay you kind of expect to do stuff like mustard that. turnips you know you could plant purple tops yeah. pretty quick now um and just you know be prepared to throw some leaves over them if we got a hard freeze. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I mean, we I think in plants we've got lettuce, Swiss chard, cabbage, uh, collards, maybe some collards left. Yeah. I mean, we've been selling these cold crops really for the last mm-hmm. three or four weeks. Yeah, you know. Yeah, we, I've got Swiss chard, but only 
for the beauty of it. I love that the what's bright, it? Lights. bright lights. Bright lights. Yeah. yeah. That it is spectacular in the garden. Mm-hmm. I never thought that I would grow Swiss right. chard. Yeah, but it <laughs> is pre- it's pretty. We have it in container. We yeah. have one actually in a container that's grown really well. And so I went out the other day and picked some and put it on my sandwich. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the girls goes, what did, what did you do? And I told her, and now, guess what? There's no leaves on that Swiss chard <laughs> because everybody seemed to all of a sudden go, oh, let's let's try that out. So there's no leaves on it. Yeah. But, you know, that's fun. It's really great to have something grow. This was an ornamental in a container that looked really pretty, yeah. but now it turned into an edible. Yeah, and, <laughs> yes, it did. And, 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 one, and one, one in that salad bowl. The yeah. ones I planted, I mean, they looked great up until about mid-July. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they were really pretty. It was late before wow. the heat got to them. Wow. So then th- they just keep, th- of course, they're going to keep rejuvenating. You know, when you, you pick it, it's going to make it grow more. So Swiss chards uh, is fun. Um, you can do baby greens, arugula, uh, things like that are, are good to start with. We had wow. a texter uh, text in on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, y'all, Miss Linda Twisthill. And Linda said, and good morning, Linda. Uh, she said, good morning, love the show. Can you please discuss the best way to add bagged compost material to existing uh, plant-filled beds? Uh, can you just spread on the top of the soil, or do you need to turn it into the soil? If so, how deep? Mm. Oh, so, just spread it. Yeah, just spread it out there. You've got these beds, Veda. Mm-hmm. You've already got shrubs and stuff in these beds, maybe perennials or some of both. But you're wanting to add a little compost, which some people do every year, add a little compost to the top of that soil. So do we just put a top dressing or do we try to work it in? Mm -hmm. And what's the best way? Well, right now the soil's wet anyway, so I would just put it on top Mm -hmm. and not worry about it. Because, you know, when it rains, when it's wet, that compost can turn into like a tea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and work its way down into the soil. I know in the summertime when the soil's been real crusty or hard and there's not been any... um, any covering on it you can just throw the compost out and be fine but sometimes i chop it in a little bit well yeah but i'm, I'm like you i think the only time that i really work compost into the soil is if it's a brand new bed or if it's even a vegetable plot you know a lot of people will add the compost and they'll work it in but for existing beds linda like that and i don't care what kind of bed it is or what's in it you can always go out there and put that uh just top dressing of compost down and then people say well what what kind of compost and there again it really doesn't matter Mm -hmm. yeah you know if you've got a plant that's suffering get a spading fork and just go around the plant like 50 times Mm -hmm. and just stick it in the ground and then spread your compost on top sweep it in Mm -hmm. uh, and water it in and then sweep some more in and you'll get some down into those roots and and it really it really will improve the vigor of a plant Mm -hmm. of you know if it's suffering yeah yeah very that that's so true and yeah, you don't because have to you go want deep. it quicker. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the roots on all of our plants here are are, are very very shallow. You know, you're going to have on on most shrubs four or five inches deep is about it. It's going to be quite wide. Down there, Jim. Yeah. yeah, it's about it's quite, real wide, but they're in very deep. So you don't have to stick the the thing in very far to get a lot of benefit. Mm-hmm. You're getting it down into the feeder root zone. Uh, and it uh, it really really helps. All right, Linda. Uh, so thank you for that question, and appreciate you listening, Linda. Uh, and then Katie uh, typed in and said, "I have hostas that are already leafing out," mm-hmm. and we talked about that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of these hostas are coming out of the ground, and we know we've got some little cool weather, chilly weather, freezing weather <laughs> coming in. And Jim, you were saying that 
Yeah, but, I mean, they, like I say, these are the first leaves. They're not going to get very big, and new ones are going to come out and cover them. So don't be terribly concerned if you do nothing. Right. Yeah. All right. But if you want to protect those, then just kick a few leaves over them, and they'll be fine. Yeah, and, you know, I think a lot of people take their cues from, say, garden centers that all of a sudden they're putting all their plants up. But it's different in the case of a garden center because you're not going to want to come in and buy a hosta that's been damaged. It has damaged. a hard leaf on it, right. So that's why we put things up is, is just so they'll stay looking good. But in the ground, you know, just a little superficial damage, and, and then you're fine. And then going back to what Linda Hill said about uh, the compost, because uh, you know, people do say, well, what's your favorite? favorite compost. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, all compost is my favorite. But whether it's the cotton burr compost, which is nothing more than cotton burrs broken down into compost. Yeah. Great product. And then there's the cotton burr blend. It's basically the same cotton burr compost, but it's got some manure added to it. And I think some alfalfa meal and maybe some humic acid all added together, uh, which is a great compost also. But then you also have your manures, like your cow manure you know 100 percent cow manure 100 percent chicken manure <laughs> they're yeah. all great products is my point i've yeah. probably heard more people say old-time gardeners say uh, probably because that's what was mostly available was the chicken manure was mm-hmm. the best mm-hmm. and i have read that it's got a lot a lot of better nutrients but I'm, I'm still going to switch around. I'm going to use chicken manure one time, cow manure, mm-hmm. back to nature, mm-hmm. maybe Earthworms. the earth mix, mm-hmm. you know, that's got everything mm-hmm. in it blended together. And, and I, I can testify, having worked on a chicken farm for three years. When David, I was, hang on, buddy. Yeah, when I was young, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff in that chicken manure. Uh, <laughs> a lot of whole chickens, a lot of feathers, <laughs> a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> stuff, just good stuff. So you're getting bone meal, feather yeah. meal. Yes, you are. Yeah, the whole yeah, mixture in there. You get one of those ornery chickens, and you know, when you're trying to take an egg out of there, and it's either dinner tonight or it's compost tomorrow. And these products, y'all, have been composted down. This is not like straight out of the chicken coop, okay? It's it's composted down, it is 100%. But it's it's in the uh, the it's in the state that it needs to be in. And the same thing with the black cow. It's a hundred percent cow manure, but it is composted down also. Yeah, how would this world be if nothing composted down? Oh, every every single thing compost down to keep our thin layer of soil on the earth. I think a replenished. Steel ball bearing will eventually compost down. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it. I mean, most things out there, the bacteria, the fungi, I mean, they take care of those problems for us, and they compost it down into a usable product that a plant can use. I mean, think about it. Even old barns, you know, at some point, eventually they turn into compost. Mm -hmm. You know, you're driving down the interstate, you go down through rural Mississippi, you'll see a bunch of them halfway down or all the way down. How about that wooden chair you used in your landscape design that you planted sedum in the seat, and then you go out like... Ten year, five years, three years later, and it's starting to compost. And you just let it stay there because mm-hmm. it looks kind of pretty and, and natural. And your sedum has fallen to the ground and spread towards yeah, feet. Right. Exactly. <laughs> kind of like mint. And you're like, I'm just going to leave that right there. It looks good. Low maintenance. Yes, ma'am. And it's, it's creating great soil. Yes, it is. All right, we're going to go to a break. And then after the break, we're going to talk to David from California. He's asking about root crops. We'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Let's go to David from California. Good morning, David. Thanks for getting up really early with us. Oh, it's not so early. It's only 5 o'clock. 
Oh, not so bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah. horrible. <laughs> hey, by the way, I I heard you talking about chicken manure. <clears throat> I have got uh, torment related to that. When I was young, I was hitchhiking through Florida, and a guy picked me up with a big old dump truck full of chicken manure. And this is how I learned about the agricultural minimum wage. <laughs> he, he said, you want to make some money? Uh, here, I got this dump truck load of chicken manure. I need to have it spread around my, my field. And so we drove back and forth across his field, and I'm up there with a shovel just shoveling it out of there. We get done, and it, we got done pretty quick. It only took about two hours in the hot Florida sun. And when it came time to get paid, I think the agricultural minimum wage was 70 cents or something like that. So I got paid like a dollar and a quarter uh, for uh, for getting for filthy with chicken manure, and then the guy wouldn't let me clean up. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is so true. You know, we always tell people that want to get in the industry, so you want to work really hard for no money. So there's other benefits. You get a great tan. You don't have to have a big wardrobe. You stay in shape, but you're still going to work for no money. Yeah, that's uh, and and take the hazard of it because then I had to go out and into the world. Is anybody going to want to pick me up if I'm covered with chicken manure? Yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah. Hey, well, yeah, I was interested. Uh, you know, we've got one of these atmospheric rivers out here again, and it's going to be coming your way or coming east anyway. And um, I'm just wondering if uh, if places that are going to be, you know buried in with a deluge if root crops might be a smart idea to you know tide them over things like that what do you think jim i mean um well here i don't think it's going to be much of an issue mm-hmm. uh i do think we're going to have a wetter than normal spring but nothing that's um completely no, no record breaking yeah. no record breaking stuff um the only issue i would find if particularly in your area where you're having so much water, uh, root crops may present a problem because it also gives you the opportunity to have a a world of fungal diseases that spread rapidly when you've got that much water. Oh, I see. Yeah. So um, I think if you're growing taro, I think you'll do real well. Uh, (laughs) Something that likes a lot of water. Um, But it's, I I don't really think that that root crops in your area would be the best investment. Uh, Of course, I don't know what, in California, if you have the same disease problems like we have here with scab and things like that on potatoes. Well, Uh, there's... There's nothing normal about what's going on out here. Uh, it looks you like know, you're, we were talking earlier, in fact, in in the show, that it's going to really help your drought situation out there. Yeah, the water table is definitely rising because of all the moisture and the snow and everything they've yeah. had. Yeah, I mean, they've had just you know, <laughs> record-breaking snowfall yeah. in the, you know, up in the Sierras. So. But they got five inches of rain in four hours yeah. or something down in Santa Cruz. They washed out a whole road, apparently. Yeah, wow. and that's just not normal, David. But, you know, there again, we're talking about Mother Nature. And and you know, David, you've talked about this before. 
uh, you know, it's not the natural barriers out there that they used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, now there's a lot of asphalt and buildings and slopes that water runs right, right. down. So yeah, we need. That's one thing that that we need to do is start putting those natural barriers back. Mm-hmm. And right. the natural barriers always don't look so perfect, ornamental, beautiful, but mm-hmm. they do serve, they serve a, purpose. a purpose. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that uh, one of the rivers that's being hard hit down in uh, in mid mid California is the Pajaro River, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> years ago, this is probably twenty five years ago, they had a massive flood down there, and this the uh, county council decided that instead of planting rip root crops or you know a, a rip rap kind of crops, uh, vines and things that'll catch the erosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they decided to plant one tree every 75 feet. Really? Yeah, it was the, mo- the stupidest idea in the world, and it's, it's sort of like sky, you know, people in a penthouse deciding how farmers should live. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and, and that river became an industrial ditch, and uh, instead of, you know, refreshing the water table, right. at the time, uh, the... The water table had gotten so salty, it's not far from the ocean, really, a couple of miles at best, Mm -hmm. and uh, 1,200 feet to to drill to fresh water. Uh, And the more they drilled, you know, they were growing strawberries down there and artichokes and all sorts of things, and so they needed that fresh water without salt on it, but they were guaranteeing that the the intrusion of of seawater into the aquifer was going to start happening. And 1,200 feet down, it's just amazing, and that was 25 years ago. And the same farmers are down there still drilling, uh, probably 50. You know, 1,500 feet deep now or upwards. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it really is foolish, the idea that they should have had any kind of thing to protect from erosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I've, I, I might have mentioned in an earlier call, there's this uh, video about how fast the uh, Sahara Desert went. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went from green to, to desert in 100 years. And uh, they they discovered there's an ancient lake in there that's I don't know 100 feet deep or so, uh, and it apparently they were doing. Um, uh, <clears throat> there's an old book uh, I read. Uh, there was uh, uh, Bernard Baruch was uh, a famous economist, and he did this uh, uh, this preface for this old book uh, from the 1940s about uh, uh, the environment. It was it came out just before Rachel Carson's Silent Spring. And he does, he basically takes the ten curses on Egypt, and he, he shows them as environmental mm-hmm. uh, issues. You know, slash-and-burn technique right. uh, uh, created, uh, you know, this problem. Uh, the uh, uh, locusts came from, uh, I, uh, I, I guess, clear-cutting. Mm-hmm. and uh, You know, all of these different issues were put down right. to environmental sources. I mean, there are repercussions that are man-made. That we don't you know? even... See, that's the thing is we don't <clears throat> even know. Uh, but then when we know, a lot of times we don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Because sure. it's uh, against... Well, like he said, we fix it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we know? fix it wrong. That's you, true. You know, any, any person with any smarts should know that if you plant trees <clears throat> along the levee or a bank, those trees are eventually going to die. Mm-hmm. which yeah. leaves pathways for water to escape. 
you know, mm-hmm. and it's just <clears throat> it's it's dumb. It's like David said, <laughs> people in the penthouse dumb. telling farmers how to farm, yeah. you know. Yeah, so I we should be doing analogy. more like ornamental grasses and yeah. well, grasses Very and shallow vines rooted and things and that won't disrupt the the integrity of the dam or whatever is mm-hmm. re- retaining the water. Uh, mm-hmm. And things that will regenerate too. Yeah. yeah. Hey, David, you know, it, you know it, it, there was uh, I I saw some videos about the ancient uh, fish spawning grounds, the salmon especially, and apparently when the pioneers got here, uh, most of the creeks were totally covered over. They, uh, uh, you know, it was like erosion; trees fell over a creek, and they were basically dark. The creeks never saw the light of day because it was so shady down in there, and the 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 spawning uh, salmon loved it. But nowadays, uh, you know, farming and um, uh, clear-cutting, especially the red, cutting the redwoods, <clears throat> they said, well, we can, we can do a 20-foot buffer down to the creek. Yeah. But it's it, it's created so much light on there that the, the spawning fish don't have a chance. So it's, you know, they loved that dark, shady, uh, you know, atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Problems... Yeah, stay safe. There, thank David, you. thank Thanks, you, David, buddy. David, for the call. Interesting Always. But, stuff. And, and like David said, you know, there's problems out there. And, you know, all these problems are man-made. You know, I mean, I don't know I don't know the answer, quite honestly. You know, like David was saying, like the Redwoods, you know, they'll have a 20-foot buffer down there by the creek. Well, probably— 20 feet's not no, enough, is it? No. Yeah. I mean, anybody should know, you right. know, that you've got to have more than that. So— I don't know. I mean, it's like Jim was saying, you know, we, we create a problem and then we turn around and try to fix it and, and then make a bigger problem yeah. out of it. As so. they say, cured from what you suffered from and suffered from the cure. <laughs> you gotta, it's still like that today, you gotta say that again. isn't it? Yeah, say that again. You cured from what you suffered from, but now you're suffering from the cure. Yeah, yes, exactly. That is so true. That is words from a song in a movie called Painted Wagon that Lee Marvin sang. Uh, it was. Uh, if you ever get a chance to see it, it's probably the worst movie ever made. <laughs> but that's a good quote. But from it's got it. Clint Eastwood in, uh, and it's a musical, and it's uh... <laughs> Clint Eastwood in a musical. <laughs> yep, believe it or not. Love it. We'll be right back. <laughs> The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. I'm Veda with Palladio in Memphis. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers right there on Popper Avenue, even though we have another one on Highway 64. Mm-hmm. Used but to find me on Popper. Popper, yeah. And I'm Jim Crowder. I'm just an old gardener. Yeah. Just a wonderful fella. Retired old grumpy nurseryman. Right, with all kinds of good information. You know, grumpy never did stick to him, you know. Now well, we just call him. He's definitely on, the grumpy gardener. But well, it's kind of your your attitude, though. You're, you just smile all the dang time. <laughs> oh, your you're attitude. You're always happy, so you don't even see... Okay, so yeah. I mean, Grumpy could come in there from yeah. time to time, but if you know, like, overall, if you met most of my friends, you, but you would understand. They would call they would, you Grumpy. They would. And Jim, <laughs> but you've got a pretty neat little Facebook page going on. Yeah, we do. Mid South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zone Six, Seven, and Eight, where we have a world of files on there about tomato varieties and hellebore varieties and hosta varieties and mm-hmm. which ones are slug resistant, which ones are sun tolerant, mm-hmm. which ones are fragrant, and it's got. 
I don't know, a couple of hundred varieties on there for you mm-hmm. to choose from. Uh, we've got pollination charts for apples. We've got info on apples and cherries and pomegranates and all that kind of stuff. Because people are so confused when it comes to fruit trees, right. I'm telling you. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, anything you want to know. And, anything and about- we got, we've got more coming. You know, we've got tomato varieties. We've got my drawing of a tomato table, a, an alternative way to grow your tomatoes. Which is classic. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so lots of good information on there on deciduous hollies. And, and what about blueberries? You know, so many people are planting blueberries yep. now. It seems like people are planting more blueberries mm-hmm. in the last 10 years than I've yeah, they, well, they finally realize that they're not only a, a good fruit crop, but they're also a very attractive shrub. They are. You know, good fall color, um, bring you know worlds of uh, nature to your garden. You Is know. there any secret? y'all to grow in blueberries i mean just give me the rundown if i wanted wanted to plant some blueberries Mm -hmm. what are the one or two things that i need to know it's just your regular planting you know high organic matter moisture in the summer Mm -hmm. but your ph needs needs to be more acidic right Uh, which tolerate some shade but they will produce better in full sun and what about the pollinating thing can i plant Mm. just one blueberry and get blueberries Uh, only if it's a a southern high bush you can but most of these around here are rabbit eyes right and even those will produce better with a second one but they are self-pollinating whereas with rabbit eyes you need at least two and preferably three different varieties out there to get really good pollination does it matter jim if i get a premiere or a climax or a tiff blue or just any of those they're all good you know, Tiff Blue is the one that you see in most of the markets that are okay. locally grown here. Uh, it's a very heavy producer, nice, sweet fruit. Um, but, no, they're they're all good for this area. But, you, yeah. but you're saying, but you'd like to plant at least two varieties, even really even better. You'd like to plant three varieties right. out and there. Blueberries are fairly forgiving. They'll grow just about right. anywhere yeah. you plant right. them. But they mm-hmm. prefer to have a very low pH. Uh, well below what even the Zay is like. Mm-hmm. So we're talking in the 4, 8 to 5. Uh, and, yeah. That's where they want to be. So to get really good production off of And so flavor, we, too. Yeah. The, the pH does make a difference in the flavor. So it's also. important if you're going to plant blueberries to get to know what that pH is in those mm-hmm. areas that you're going to plant blueberries. Because typically it's not going to be that acidic. And that being the case, if we want to bring that pH down, which in most of the cases we, we would have to or need to, we're going to add granulated sulfur. We're going to add aluminum sulfate. We're going to do both of those, or you know, I mean, well, does it? You know, sulfur is quick. It does a good yeah. job. You know, um, if you've got hydrangeas, I'd get aluminum sulfate because you can use it on your hydrangeas also, uh, to make them bluer. <laughs> Because uh, it's aluminum that actually gives you the color. Right. Um, but so granulated sulfur <coughs> is going to be perfectly fine to bring that yes. pH down. Yeah, works mm-hmm. really well. Oh, delicious! Now I'm wanting some blueberries and yogurt. Well, but we or know how easy smoothie. they are, and I've always made the uh, the reference that every time you go, I go to Birmingham, I mean, you drive around some of these neighborhoods where I had a friend live. I mean, there were so many blueberries really? being used as ornamental plants. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, Veda. And I know for a fact that the way these things were planted, they weren't planted there for the blueberries. I'm sure they enjoyed them. They were planted there, like Jim was saying, for the landscape Mm -hmm. aspect of it. And only that. Yeah, I I carry blueberries, (coughs) and I'm thinking, well, if they're not wanting to have a food crop, 
they're still going to enjoy it for fall color. But also when I'm talking to customers about, and they're interested in blueberries, and they're kind of on, on the border, and I'm thinking, you know, they mm-hmm. do great. You'll definitely harvest some, mm-hmm. and they look good year-round, and they have fall color. And then mm-hmm. it's almost like, okay, this plant does more than, than just feed me. It's mm-hmm. got other things, too. And a lot of people that are doing landscaping and, and picking their plants out are wanting things that can do multiple multiple things that is so true yeah you know fall color and edible um then then that's that's just how would you say no to that and and then of course jim you mentioned fruit trees also and we know that growing trying to grow fruit trees here in the mid-south can be somewhat challenging is that the word i should use yeah because we know that there are quite a few different insects out there that love fruit trees and fruits and there's a lot of diseases out there that love you know our fruit trees and fruits so I guess other than I guess the key I'm I'm, I get, I'm getting at is to get on a spray program, uh, and if you stick to that spray program when it comes to these uh, fruit trees, you will be successful. Yeah. Okay. And one of the most important things is controlling bores. That's what you know. If if you get fruit diseases, you're going to lose fruit, but the tree's going to be fine. Right. Okay. But if you get borers in that trunk before you know it, they've done enough damage to, to where uh, it's to where it's dying off. Look at if you go around town and look at a lot of the cherry trees, and you see them beginning to die back by mm-hmm. limbs. It's because they've gotten borers in there through the years. Mm-hmm. You know, it uh, it the uh, city hall in Bartlett they have a, a road there that's lined with them and they haven't been treated like they should have been and I love that look you know, and you, so you've got some mature trees that look good you've got some that are half dead mm-hmm. they've to, removed them out and look like freaks in the garden and then you've got brand new ones because they've already died yeah. so you know so yeah. what do you I mean you know used to there was uh, Lindane and then there was uh, you know uh, Durasband that were really good products when it came to boars now it looks like mostly, you know, that's either going to be spinosad or permethrin, right? Or imidacloprid, because most stone fruits are approved for that. Uh, so imidacloprid is very good because it doesn't move, uh, on the case of fruit trees, it doesn't move between the stem and into the fruit. Mm-hmm. It's blocked off there. Uh, same, you can use it on pecans, mm-hmm. uh, in which is great for pecan phylloxera, although the damage is about to be done on those right, right. now. So. Um, it's uh, it, it really is a great once a year treat it, and you have no problems with boars all season long. Uh, I have to agree with you, Jim. And then you know one comment, Veda, and because I know how you like to go either organic or or something that's surely on the safe side. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, the old fruit tree sprays, and I think this might be the last year you can even buy them. Now they they do a good job. You know, it had the malathion, the methoxychlor. Uh, I think the Cap 10 and maybe even some 7 in there. Uh, I mean, a product that will control insects and disease, and it was called Fruit Tree Spray. Well, what they're replacing that with is a neem oil and pyrethrin product, Mm -hmm. and it's actually called Fruit Tree Spray. Uh, But the key is that both of those products have both the insecticide and the fungicide because, and Jim, like Jim said, yeah, you can get insects and you can get disease, but you better take care of the boars too. So just be aware, if you're trying to grow fruit trees here in Memphis, a lot of people do, mm-hmm. or in this area, uh, it, there, it's not hands-free. you, right. you got to be prepared to do a little bit of work with them. Yeah, and, and you also have to do a little bit more organic matter, a little bit more fertilizing, because mm-hmm. the, the, the 
if a tree is like in utmost health, the sap flow runs quicker and it's harder for insects to live in something that's just full of energy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take care of the feeding part, too. And we're talking now the cherry trees that are blooming now. We're not get we don't get cherries on them. Yeah, she knows that yeah, ornamental cherries right. and the but. ones that do produce cherries are difficult to get them to fruit here. Same with apricots because they have um, a very short period of time that they need to produce fruit, which makes them bloom early. Mm-hmm. And they typically bloom when we have frost here. Yeah. So your, your chances are not real good of but, getting But the fruit. apples, the pears. The, they, uh, they're great. Mm-hmm. The plums, the peaches. The peaches yeah. yeah. You know, it's the hardest part about growing a fruit tree to me was when I had peach trees, they put on so much fruit that you had to pick some of the fruit off so I could get some nice size. That's right. Culling is, so is real important. It, it really is. So, I mean, and that's like how nature works. You get a whole lot of something because the fact that not not 100% is going to make it. But, I've also but when se- it's doing it, then it's up to us to uh, cull, cull it. it. But I've yeah. also seen people where they'll get supports data, I promise you, <laughs> up under these fruit trees and support the limbs yeah. that are just being weighed down uh-huh. by this excessive amount of fruit. Right. And I'd just rather have some good size fruit than a bunch of little fruit. Yeah. One and of my fondest memories was when I was growing up in Charlotte, just off the airport property at the end of the rain at the end of the rainbow end of the <laughs> runway they had there were a whole bunch of uh, wild uh, plum trees that had come uh-huh. up there and they were so loaded with fruit every year i mean the limbs were hanging yeah. over and we climb up in those things you know and the jets would come over yourself. like you know felt like a couple of feet over your head yeah. and uh-huh. sit there eating plums uh-huh. you know how wonderful great, is that that was great in the spring and then in the fall you got to climb way up in the trees and eat the muscadines oh my gosh that's you know, so fun life I love was it. good yes absolutely <laughs> okay y'all are gonna head to a break keep thinking of those memories and we'll be right back good morning welcome back to mid-south gardening so like uh this coming weekend is the at the botanic gardens the cherry blossom festival i think so yeah so what? Uh, and of course, we're going to get a freeze, possibly or frost. Possibly, but is that going to be after the the festival? I wonder. Yeah, uh, well, you know, yeah, it would be. It seems like yeah. we'll get it. So It'd be we Monday be night at the earliest. Tuesday's more likely of the following uh, weekend. Uh, after this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And remember, everybody, you turn your clocks forward tonight. <sighs> man, we almost had it. Remember the beginning of the year, we had heard that. Yeah, they didn't. Finals. They didn't actually sign the bill in Senate like they thought they would pass the House of Representatives. But then U.S. Senate didn't sign the uh, just eliminating daylight saving time. So hopefully they'll do it. Come, it'll come up on the floor and they'll pass it. So we don't have to deal this anymore. That's what I me know. and Beta were talking about. Just I feel sleepy <laughs> already. Just talking about you it. know. I don't know why it just affects me. I mean, mm. I don't know if it's mental or oh, what. It messes but it up just, my dogs. It takes me. Yeah. They know exactly what time they're supposed to be fed, and they they hardly ever miss mm-hmm. within a minute or two. Right. <laughs> you know that is true. And when, when the clocks change, they just don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and they've got a lot of grumpy animals too. Yep. All right, let's go to Bob calling from Midtown. Good morning, Bob. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. I, I really enjoy y'all's show. Thank, Thank you, Bob. Good morning. 
Veda, a couple of weeks ago, or I don't know how many shows back, you mentioned the saying about uh, a red sky at night mm-hmm. means bad weather. Yes. A red sky in the morning means bad weather. Yes. Yeah, red sky at night, <laughs> sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor take that morning. That about yeah. the sailors was added on, but that's mm-hmm. biblical. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's biblical. And the gentleman that from California that called, uh, he was talking about that county government had planted trees right. along that river route. That's right. right, David from California. Yeah, back when the reservoir was constructed by the Corps of Engineers north of Jackson, Mississippi, mm-hmm. they dammed up part of the uh, Pearl River. Mm-hmm. There was an interview of the daughter of the family who sold a lot of property to the core because mm-hmm. it was an intimate domain situation. Right. She, they said the family told the core, don't build the dam there. It's a bad decision. Huh. The core went ahead and did it, and they left trees around part of the dam area because some of that's earthen right Mm -hmm. and it's kind of created a problem down there when they have you know that flooding almost every year from the pearl river yeah and i was just you know commenting on how we like jim said we fix things in the wrong way Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm yeah, now is and that the, is yeah. that Ross Barnett Lake or is that another yeah. lake? Yeah. It's Ross Barnett yeah. Reservoir. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's the Pearl River. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And see, they were the 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 owners of the property knew, and they said something. They told about them it. years yeah. years. They said, "Don't you know?" They they gave them different locations, mm-hmm. either south of Jackson or further up north. Mm-hmm. You know, of the river. No, and once you build that dam, it's there. Yeah, you it, know, it's there. Yeah. And, People have built homes all around yep. that area, you know, uh, that lake area there. And, uh, so, Well, but also the Pearl River goes right through Jackson, you know, and if it, that thing right, starts... It, it's right by it, Interstate 55. Exactly. And when that thing starts flooding, it's not just the people around Ross Barnett. It's people yeah. in Jackson. That's so, right. That's right. I mean, they had to shut down I-55 and part of I-20 because uh, mm. wow. it, it covered the interstate. I know. And it's like, what What did those the people that owned the property, uh, you know, how they knew, but why would they, the Corps of like Engineers history, not? It was like yeah. passed down from one generation to the other. Yeah. How they, and this is before weather, you know, the, there was no mm-hmm. weather on TV. There was no TV back years ago. Yeah. And uh, they knew the land and the... I guarantee the they knew the high water mark. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, honestly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that's right. You're right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But, too uh, bad. Why, why would the Corps of Engineers... You know, I, it's always a money thing. It's like Jim said, why would they yeah. build New Orleans below sea level? Yeah. Well, you mentioned New Orleans. <laughs> I was going to make a comment about that because I thought about that. After Katrina, who did the Corps call? They, caught, they, they had the Dutch come down and survey the land all around New Orleans and South Louisiana. And they told them that they have learned how to work with mother nature mm-hmm. you can't fight it you 
you do things to mitigate damage, mm-hmm. but it's not a 100% fix. In other words, you can do things to lessen the damage. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the core, you know, they, because in the Netherlands, I mean, that's all they've done is do Deal things with, mm-hmm. to keep the water, the sea from <clears throat> covering, you know, Mm-hmm. taking over the land yeah yeah we were talking about that on the break too we're trying that's for sure but um yeah well bob that's some great points i'm telling you yeah, so, and, and and we can't you know mother nature is mother nature we can't change yeah. the weather so we better either learn how to live with it and be smart about it that's right you're right or, or you know or suffer the consequences you know you're, you're exactly right yeah uh, but uh i enjoy your show all right, all right bob. thank you thanks for the thank call you. bob thanks uh-huh. buddy yeah, see, we have a lot of responsibility as gardeners, mm-hmm. actually. You know, we have to look at it more. I mean, we can mix beauty and uh, and uh, utilitary together. You know, the reptin barrier that we're talking about is, you know, like if you've got a creek behind your house or, or you know, other types of waterways around you, it's good to have that barrier is still a landscape, mm-hmm. but just choose differently. So you, it's to filter like a lot of your fertilizers. It's to filter them from getting into the water and creating, you know, a lot of algae. And it's not trying to change the world or trying to be more um, organic or mm-hmm. something like that. It's, it's, it's being just, smart. Yeah, it's just being smart. We're just filtering our water, basically, or keeping the soil erosion, keeping stuff out of our waterways. And, and that's one of the big things is if we were protecting our waterways, then we wouldn't have to worry too much about how we're fertilizing. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, a lot of the nitrates that are in fertilizers, I mean, if you're being responsible and putting it down like it calls for, mm-hmm. and you're coming back and watering the product in, not flooding the product, but watering the product in, uh, you know, you you don't you wind up not getting so many nitrates going down the curb into the drain into the Mississippi River or any other body of water. And then as far as the insecticides and the herbicides go, remember a lot of the products, especially the herbicides, had a lot of arsenic in it. And, you know, now, even though a lot of the, I guess, lawn care companies might still use products that have arsenic in it, you don't have the millions of homeowners. But it's, it's, it, it, it was a safe arsenic. What was in MSMA was an organic arsenic, which is uh, safe. It's inorganic stuff that'll kill you. Uh, the the thought of removing it was that when they found some in a in a golf course pond, that it could change from organic to inorganic. <clears throat> Has never happened ever. Okay, it doesn't do that. Organic arsenic will pass right through your body. Um, Thank goodness. <laughs> but it was bad science. You got a lot of people making decisions who hadn't, who didn't know what they were talking well, about. Well, and, and, and what, but I, I guess the point I was going to make is there are products I think out there that are safer for us to use now that are not as damaging. Quote to the uh, ecosystem is maybe they used to be mm-hmm. uh, chloridine and some of those other ones. Well, but if you use it correctly, product. I know it, Jim. But it also makes me think about even liquid seaweed, okay? Mm-hmm. Liquid seaweed we know is a really good water-soluble plant food. And I don't care what you're putting it on. It, it, is, it is good stuff. Mm-hmm. Liquid seaweed has organic it, arsenic in it. Well, it has heavy metals in it. Okay. Yes. Well, they even classified liquid seaweed i'm not saying it's right or wrong i'm just telling you a fact Mm -hmm. that it is they classified it as a herbicide okay 
So liquid seaweed, beta male, is classified as a herbicide because of the heavy metals that are in it. Right. I mean, it's because somebody's wallet. I mean, come on. You know, on. that's what it is. You know, I'll give you some more money if you classify God, it like this. So somebody will buy that. But I mean, it hasn't killed any of anything I've ever watered with of it because not. it's not. No, and it can't arsenic can't be absorbed by plants. It stays just inside the root zone. So it does. If you had arsenic in the water that you were for, putting on your uh, tomatoes, it won't get into the tomato fruit. Uh, the only thing you would have some issue with would be potatoes, where it can mm-hmm. accumulate right under the skin. But once you peel them, it's gone. Oh so, yeah, I've heard you know, don't eat potato pills, and they're my favorite. Maybe that explains something. We'll, we'll be get right more back. Into this. Yeah. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. To continue on, we were talking about uh, different varieties of bad science. Yeah, we're talking about bad science there, where people who are making the decisions are not qualified to make the decision. Jim, surely that's never happened before. Oh, (laughs) yeah, it happens quite often Mm -hmm. in this industry, you know. Uh, and, it, and a lot of it goes back to, in fact, the gentleman mentioned it earlier uh, about the, the book Silent Spring. Mm-hmm. That's what started the issue about DDT, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. what we found out later is that none of that was true. Uh, and then what about imidacloripid and yeah, the D-decline? They went back and, you know, the big thing about DDT was that it was making the raptor eggs thinner and they were crushing under the weight of the birds. That's right. But when they went back and took a look at the eggshells that were in museums all the way back to the turn of the century, 50 years before DDT was introduced, that they had started thinning Mm -hmm. then, okay? So, you know, Mm -hmm. all this was blamed on DDT, and the truth of the matter is DDT is very safe, okay? In fact, I showed you not too long ago the article where the World Health Organization wanted to bring DDT back uh, and use it in some of the third world countries to help control mosquitoes. Because it was killing more humans than anything. Yeah, Yeah, we lose like 400,000 kids a year due to uh, malaria. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's... uh, yeah, that and my, that was all based on bad science. So that's what my f- father was telling me about the time when there was the black fly issue. Yeah. And, of course, in Memphis it was really bad. Well, in all kinds of places. But it was really bad to where, you know, you couldn't keep them out of your house. It was in your food. It was in your, you know, just everywhere. And he was like, I didn't care what. Mm-hmm. Just something just, needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And it was DDT. Yeah. You know, and it... But like, what are you gonna do? You, you know, you can't mm-hmm. you can't live like that. But that was the only thing that was working. Right. You know, and the truth is that they had checked mother's milk, and about ninety nine percent of the the mother's milk contained a measurable amount of DDT. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they never, it was never tied to anything mm-hmm. uh, that could cause any issues. Uh, so, but we also say that I don't care what you're using. I mean, read the label, understand the label. Mm-hmm. If it says one ounce per gallon, well, that really means one ounce per gallon, not five mm-hmm. ounces to a gallon to think it's going to work better. So, you know, use things responsibly. Yeah. Uh, but I'm with Jim, though. I mean, there's some, I mean, you know, Roundup, you know, Roundup, 
roundup is going to be off the retail market. I think after this year, now With they'll the still glyphosate, right? They'll still, yeah, you know, it's cancer be causing available. carcinogenic and all that. I mean, there's stories behind that. We don't can't prove mm-hmm. that it is or isn't. Uh, Imidacloprid, when it came out, you know that it was killing all of the bees out there. Wasn't uh, you know, and then mm-hmm. uh, then it was the cell phones that were doing it, you know, and all that was bad <laughs> science. Also, I mean, so. I get it. I understand why some people can be confused, but I don't care if you're using an organic product or you're using a synthetic product. Overall, the products that we're using now are, quote, much safer to use for all different reasons. Well, if you let a lot of organic product run into the water, you're still going to have some issues. That's my point. But you still want to be responsible and, 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 and know what you're doing when you're using these products, no doubt. Pyrethrin is twice as toxic as melophine. And pyrethrin is from the crocus plant, Jim. It's a organic uh, chrysanthemum. chrysanthemum. I mean, the chrysanthemum crocus. <laughs> what did you just say? Where but, are you? <laughs> but you're right. I mean, it, it's a great product, and so mm-hmm. it's a permethrin. Mm-hmm. But you know, people there again, pyrethrin being from the chrysanthemum, mm-hmm. the permethrin being a synthetic pyrethrin. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You, there's you still treat them the same way. You know, you want to be just as safe with one as you would the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything, anything that you use incorrectly or use too much of is that's a right. problem. That's right. And then that that's where we get to. There, there's so many people in the world, you know, we're doing our, our lawns and, and fertilizing and mm-hmm. all. So then, you know, you add an abundance to what we're doing, too. And that's why we're trying to be more responsible. And then we take away all our natural barriers and everything. Right. So we're just caught in this big It's not conjundrum. just one person in the neighborhood putting stuff down on the yard. It's everybody in the yeah. neighborhood putting everything down on the yard. Yeah. Well, and and you know, most of the issues have, have been caused by uh, commercial yeah, farming. Right. You know, a few years back, there was a test in uh, drink, testing drinking water in like the 50 largest cities. Uh, and they were looking at atrazine, which is a herbicide used particularly in corn. Good product. Uh, and what they found was that in all but one of the water tested, they could measure atrazine. Mm-hmm. Now, it was well below what was considered toxic but to you could humans, still measure but, it in there but there yeah. wasn't the only city that did not have atrazine in the water was memphis i'd be darn because it's taken from deep not surface water yeah and i haven't seen i know atrazine is still on the market oh yeah um, mm-hmm. and i know that you know people still use it but there, there are other products out there now it seems like that they're using yeah okay well that. we're trying I, to move, i'm sorry oh i have a question that that i hear People talk about our aquifer and things getting in our aquifer, but doesn't it working through the soil and the rock level, doesn't that clear it before it gets to the aquifer? Well, that's the beauty. You have that filtration going on, Uh but like Jim said, there are places of the aquifer that are very close to the surface. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. where you have to be careful. You know, here in the city, I think they say it takes about a thousand years for water from the surface to get to the aquifer. And it's being filtered every step of the way. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're moving to products that either biodegrade quickly in sunlight or bind quickly to organic matter in the soil so it doesn't move through it. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the big things. Chlorine, for instance, was, you know, you mentioned that, great product for controlling. If a properly sprayed house with chlorine before they pour the foundation will never have termites. Yeah, yeah never. exactly. Never. Exactly. Okay. Uh, but that was the thing. It was very persistent in the soil. And they're trying to move away from products That's that right. stay mm-hmm. there 
or you know they have to biodegrade in short periods of time so it's um it, it's a wise decision uh as long as it's made on good science i think yeah yeah Right, exactly. So that that's Not the good science. to know, y'all, you know, that it is. It filtrates through before it hits to the aquifer. And like you're saying, and did, where'd you say, was it in Collierville that it's It's very close, close to the surface even, layer, what, yeah. how, how much close? And even the like, Mississippi line Because I know it's there. 800 feet down um, in various yeah. places, yeah. but I don't know. I, mean, yeah. it's, uh, I, I think it's very close to 100 feet or so. Yeah, if oh, even that, Jim, far, I, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember exactly, but wow. it's, it's close to the surface, yeah. That's crazy and so that's like when we start seeing crawdads and things coming up in our in in our lawn it's when our water tables rising i've well, heard they, that is they, that they it live, they live underground here yeah. because in some areas your aquifer is very close to the surface yeah. your first layer of water mm. uh not the deep stuff uh, you know the artesian stuff that we draw our water right. off of yeah um but they're living underground and there doesn't need to be any water near you as long as there's water moving uh, in that soil and they'll just you know every now and then you'll have one pop up in your yard I've you had know and you're a quarter mile from a lake yeah. i've, I've had know. one i'm the same way jim i'm like where did this thing come yeah, when that first happened to me, I'm like, wait, I'm really confused now. I thought these things hung out in the water. In the creek, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I thought uh, it was funny, too. The gentleman was talking about how, how Africa used to be a lake. Well, this was a sea yeah. here, yeah. you know? Yeah. When ginkgos lived here, uh, you know, a few, wow. a few million years ago, we were about 800 to 1,000 feet below the surface. There's so much more. The beach more. was over around Savannah, Tennessee. Yeah. Gosh, dang it. <laughs> there is so much more that has happened on this earth, and that we dig, the more we dig down, the more we find than what's in the moon. You know, yeah. let's start digging and finding all this other wonderful stuff. And in the ocean, too, all these crazy little critters that we're, we're digging, going down deeper and deeper and finding all this stuff. It's just amazing. We, we know nothing compared to what there is to know. Uh, when we get back, I know we got to go to a break, Veda. Have you washed all the dust off your houseplant leaves? Because I saw an African violet, y'all, Yeah. that... I mean, I think they're the best dust collector out there, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, they got those furry little leaves. But how do you wash the dust off of African violet leaves? That's a tough one. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. How am I going to get the dust off my African violet leaves? I mean, because think about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of times, if you never, ever touch your houseplants and they just stay in the same spot for year after year, and sometimes they do perfectly fine there. They do tend to collect a lot of dust on the foliage. And we all know that taking them outside, washing them down really good, or getting a damp cloth and wiping mm-hmm. them down inside really good, it really helps the health of the plant that are coated in uh, dust. <laughs> but what about the African violets? I've seen African violets because they have the little hair like structures on their leaves and they just catch dust. Yeah. So, how do you, and you're not supposed to get water on the foliage of mm-hmm. African violets. So, yeah. what's the key, guys? Like, well, you know, what I would do would use like a can of air that you clean your keyboard with and just kind of try to blow them off. I think you could actually get away with putting it under water and washing mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and then using a hairdryer that's cool mm-hmm. and dry it off yeah. gotcha. fairly quick. Right. Um, but well, that's just bizarre. I've never seen African violet with dust that much. Oh, yeah. oh man. This I, was yeah. at a business. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to say what business, but it was I've just had at a business. One. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funny. Well, well, I do know 
that, of course, they like to be watered from the bottom. That's right. But they don't need constant water from the bottom. They don't need, they don't want to stay really moist <laughs> because that's why you start seeing little flowers uh, leak, uh, lean over. Mm-hmm. They don't stay as upright as much. The leaves will start turning mushy on the bottom. Mm-hmm. So they don't like to be constantly moist. They can go to almost dry. But water them, but don't let them just sit in that water and, you know, soak it up. Because it can soak up more than it needs Mm -hmm. as well. Let's go to Dwight calling from Bartlett. Good morning, Dwight. You're in the garden. Uh, Good morning. I'm not an alarmist, but I just thought of something a while back. And I bet y'all can tell me that it's no big deal. But let's face it, the aquifers, they're like a underground, let's say like a cavern maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a void. It is. And now it's basically or has been full of water. So as we're using more water than what it regenerates, because it takes about 4,000 years to regenerate, mm-hmm. I, I was wondering about uh, caving in, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, it, water itself could be a structure. It could, it could hold things up. And so if that water is gone, looks like it might tend to cave in. What do you think? Our aquifers are not caves. They tend to be sand, just pure layers of sand, and that's where we draw okay. our water So you're from. not seeing this just big, empty pocket, right. Jim. So you're seeing just an area that will hold water that's just really full of sand also. That, that's all it is. It's just really good I sand. See. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Well, okay. Like I say, I wasn't worried about things. I was just curious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's right. a good question. I know a lot of people think that. I've now, wondered. The other thing is we are on a, an earthquake zone here. So yeah. there is a possibility that, you know, tomorrow you could be 12 feet deep lower down than you were today. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll say this, that, that the, the aquifers are such a fantastic study about it drains uh, four counties and yeah. – uh, you know, it's just wonderful. But anyway, thank you all for being there. All right, thank you. Thanks for the yeah, call. No Good question. Yeah, so um, house plants, you know, um, like we were saying, now now it seems like there's such a saturation on the market of plants. And the the ones that we're used to, like the spats and the corn plant and all that. I still love them. Yeah, still love them. But I'm noticing like a lot of people, are, especially the younger generation, are, are not into those anymore. They did, I remember so, I told you they're looking for the hard-to-find yeah, houseplants. Right, right, and it keeps bumping up a level. Like for about two years or so, we've got the hard-to-find plants and doing good now they're available it's not so hard to work on Mm -hmm. them and bam now there's another level all of a sudden i have these people coming in uh going what about this what about that so doing research research (laughs) and sure enough there's so many more philodendrons you could even alocasia oh my gosh alocasia is insane how many they're growing for indoors so um i'm finding these smart People that love their houseplants, they know about these new introductions that are coming out. And some of them have been around forever. I've just never heard yeah, of them. Right, right. So um, indoor landscaping is a way to go as well. But also I'm, I'm mixing houseplants together to do on outdoor containers and putting mm-hmm. like impatience with them. Absolutely. You know, why not? Let's go to Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Yes, I've got a question. Sure. Very few of my pansies survive in pots, mm-hmm. and they're just barely up. Can I fertilize them? Oh, absolutely you can, uh, Barbara. And that's what we said earlier, like in the first hour. You know, 
this is the first year I can remember that we kind of lost our whole season of pansies and the violas because that flash mm-hmm. freeze came through and just turned them to mush. Now, some of them are and are still coming back from the root, but, you know, it's one of those things where you can feed them with any plant food, whether it's a liquid plant food or a granulated plant food. Um, but we're going to get these things up, maybe get some bloom on them just in time <laughs> to yank them up and replace them with some spring and summer color, you know? Yeah, so, you're right. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, feeding them will stimulate faster growth, and it would definitely stimulate quicker blooms. But, Barb, it doesn't matter whether you want to get a product that you mix in pour or whether you want to get a product that you sprinkle in there dry and water in. But you most definitely can feed those pansies right now. And if I were doing it, I would use nitrate of soda because we've got, as we talked about, 10 days or so of cool temperatures. Let me say this, Jim. Nitrate of soda that you used to be able to buy in a four-pound bag, mm-hmm. it's not available anymore. Really? So, yeah. So calcium yeah. nitrate. Okay. Works same way. Yeah. Calcium mm-hmm. nitrate that comes in a four-pound bag. Right. That's quick-release nitrogen, whereas most of your ammoniacal nitrogens and things like miracle Grow are not going to be available in this cool temperature, uh, cool round temperature. So oh, okay. It's, uh, I, I would invest calling? in that. And I'd use that okay. in the fall and winter on your pansies, just all through the season. It'll really keep them he- healthy and nice looking. But you said, Jim, it also worked this time of year. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what are you calling it's it? It's called calcium nitrate, and it comes calcium like in a four-pound bag. I think High Yield is the brand. Uh, and it's got some uh-huh. calcium, and some, and, but it's got that particular type of nitrogen that Jim was talking about that's going to work the second you put it down and water it in. Just don't go overboard with uh, putting the, applying the product. Okay. Then let me ask you one more question. What would I fertilize any of my other plants that are starting to come up with now? Mm. Well, I would use like plant tone. It's just a good mixture mm-hmm. of different types of fertilizer or soil amendments actually yeah. mixed together. Or millorganite. Yeah, millorganite would be great too. Uh, that's what I would use. Um, compost is good. Yeah. What's some other, which ones would you go with? Jim? Well, I mean, any of the tone products, like Veda was saying, you know. Yeah, I think the, the plant tone products are as, as good a product as you can use. And, and I still yeah. love using millorganite, but I like to go ahead and use an organic now mm-hmm. and then come back in about okay. a month and use something like a grower special. Because like we said before, Barbara, we really think these, especially these shrubs that were really burned, they're going to need that extra boost to replace all that foliage this year. Okay, because now as they use, all the leaves are burned. That's exactly right. Some are starting to... Some are starting to get buds. Yeah, because, you know, there's going to be nutrients in the soil and all that they're going to be using. They're just going to be using a little bit more. And so if we're putting organic matter down, then it's going to be available uh, after they've used what's available now. And on the tone products, Barbara, especially for azaleas, it's either going to be holly tone, which is the one for azaleas, or like I said, that millorganite. You can't go wrong either way with those. And I know I have millorganite. Perfect. You can put that out there today. I sure will. 
<laughs> Thank y'all a lot. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Barbara. Thanks, Barbara. All right, well, briefly, let's talk again about, oh, yeah. uh, let's watch your temperatures over the next 10 days or so. We're going to have some nights that are going to approach frost and freezing temperatures in outlying areas. So mm-hmm. if you've got tender things, you know, uh, throw a little, lay some newspaper across them and wet it down, uh, uh, or just, um, you know, throw the leaves over them, give them a little protection if you need to. And right. Jim, I mean, Fade, I'm sorry, babe. What would you consider tender, though? I mean, because to me, any new growth is tender. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of things will take frost without any 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 problem. Things like roses. Right. I mean, you know, frost will not phase it. Yeah. Uh, main things I would worry about would be tender perennials that are coming up. Um, thing, um, you know, hosta leaves, mm-hmm. things like that. Tomatoes, if you already planted yes. them. <laughs> Particularly the minis, if they're starting up. Uh, I would I just throw some leaves over them, but you know it's um, it, we just run that possibility. So watch it, you know, bring your house plants back in if you brought them out. Right. Um, but you're saying, Jim, just be aware. Be the aware. Next Ten days. Yeah, and yep. it looks like particularly Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday we're going to have temperatures near freezing or slightly below, and it's going to be clear, which means that's frost. Mm-hmm. So let's be careful. Well. We just love the Mid-South because of all our up-and-down temperatures. And I do find out that it happens like that in a lot of other states, too. And I remember, I think I remember last year, it was like April the 17th, that Mm -hmm. I was scraping ice off of the windshield from a heavy frost. So the 15th is a guideline. We can get, you know, we might not have any frost Mm -hmm. after the 2nd of April. Right. But we can surely have it as late as the 15th, even the 17th. Uh, and like Jim saying, just for the next 10 days, just be aware, watch the weather, know what you need to protect yeah. if you've got that new growth out there on these young tender right. perennials. Well, y'all stop planting your garden and think about fountains, outdoor furniture, your fertilizers, your plants. It's time. It's season. We'll be here next Saturday to spend time with y'all in the garden.